Coming up on episode 312 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Honda Pilot Trail Sport, the Mercedes AMG EQE SUV, the Mazda CX-90 plug-in hybrid, the Mazda CX-30 Turbo, and several new vehicles from the Monterey Car Week, uh, including the Acura ZDX, the Mustang GTD, and the Lamborghini Lanzador. All that and more coming up next. This is episode 312 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam McGuall Samus from Guidehouse Insights. And I'm Nicole Wakeland from The Road Reflected. And I'm Stephanie Brimley from SP Global Mobility. And thank you for joining us again, Steph. Uh, Robbie is off gallivanting among the fancy people in Monterey this weekend. So. And I think he also had a gig with his Devo band. Uh, last he had a lot. Well. He's a busy man that's, this weekend. That's, that's busy. Well, I'm sorry he's not here, but thank you for bringing me in again. <laughs> Thanks for joining us again. So, uh, Nicole, let's start with you. What have you been driving this week? I have been driving that, and I'm going to read the whole title because I love it when the title of a car sounds like a small book. Um, it's the 2023 Mazda CX-30 2.5 Turbo All-Wheel Drive with Premium Plus Package. <sighs> So Very that's nice. what I'm driving this week. So uh, so it's a, it's a crossover, a small little crossover kind of thing. Um, it has a 2.5 liter with uh, 227 horsepower, 310 pound-feet of torque. So it's enough that it moves. You know, this isn't a huge vehicle. And Mazda's are peppy little cars. It's a little turbocharged thing. So it's fun to drive around. I, I got to drive back and forth into the city a couple times, took a little bit of drive out into the middle of nowhere for just for kicks and giggles. And it's a fun car. And it, I like, you know... Mazdas tend to handle pretty well. You know, you take it on a twisty road and they don't ever feel quite as big as they are. They handle like a little bit of a smaller vehicle. So even though this is a crossover, it's got a little bit more of a sedan vibe to it because it's, you know, on twisty turning side roads, it's very planted. It's very fun. It's very easy. You have like no body roll. I enjoy driving Mazdas. I'm generally speaking a Mazda fan and I like this one. Um, I think it's got the Mazda interior. The only thing, okay, so I discovered a thing. I'm going to be cleaning the Mazda when I finish the podcast. Um, so it's been pouring rain all summer in New Hampshire. Like we've had two days of sun and it's been dumping. And I ordered myself a Starbucks. And when I rolled the window down to order the Starbucks, the disguise decided that was the moment to open. And when I say it was raining, it was like coming sideways. My left oh, side no. is soaked as I get to the window in the two minutes it took me to order three Starbucks coffees. And it's and it's all over the, you know, the door because it's wet because you have to open the window. And I wiped it off with my hand. This was a couple days ago. So it's like the normal kind of thing you do in your car, like you're using your sleeve, you know, to kind of sop up some of the water on the side. And I'm like, okay, go about my business. I looked at it this morning. Apparently it did not like that water more than I thought it did. And I can see little watermarks on it. And I'm like, and I was rubbing at it and it comes off, but I like literally I'm going to have to rub, like get like a little cloth and like polish the, so it does come off, but I was really surprised. I'm like, it was just water from the, like right from the sky. It didn't even drip (laughs) off of the car directly from the sky sideways into the vehicle. (laughs) And I was kind of surprised because like, you know, you live someplace where there's snow and rain you know, especially in the winter, you roll down your window and there's, if there's snow, some of us get in the car. So yeah. So it, it, the interior is a little bit uh, sensitive to moisture. <laughs> How's that? Uh, so it will come off and I'm like, I'm gonna have to buff this out. Uh, but otherwise it's really, it's a nice little interior. Um, there's good storage in this one. I like that there was plenty of room in front. Like there's a little pod where it will fit your iPhone and like a wallet 
And then when you move the center console, the cover for it, it has little two little dividers in there. Um, and the, the lid slides, like you can slide it back if you want to, and it slides forward. The only, see, it's all about the small things this week. The only thing is if you've slid it back and you try to close it, it does not like that. It needs to be slid forward, then closed, then you can slide it back. So if you've managed to somehow open and slide, when you go to close it, you slam it like eight times and get really mad. And then you're like, what is going on? You slide it forward with the lid slightly open and then you close it and then you slide it back. I, I'm like slamming it. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? It's just a lid. It's, um, just, a lid. it's just a lid. But it's this those little be- details that annoy people. Right. Mm-hmm. And it should be. In your, and then I thought, no, it's just me. I'm I'm being silly. This is I, anybody who had this would not have this problem. And then my daughter opened it, it up the first something. Time. Yeah. Right, the, then she did it. And she's like, what is up with this? I'm like, you got to slide forward with the lid open now. Yep. Close it. Now you can slide it back. She's like, this is stupid. I'm like, I don't have to tell me. <laughs> so so it's little things, the things that drive you mad. But uh, otherwise, I mean, I, I like riding in this. It's a comfortable car. It's fun to drive. Um, the room in it was actually pretty good. So Russ is people know is like six, three, and he does the, the standard, I think of it as the guy thing. You immediately throw the seat back as far as it will possibly go and then recline it. Um, and when my daughter first got in behind him, she's like, yo, dad, <laughs> like she's her knees. But all he had to do was really just like, no longer be like reclining, just bring the seat up a little bit. So he wasn't quite so far back. And there was plenty of room for her, you know, and she's 21, they're adults. So there was enough room for her to be comfortable behind the six foot guy who wanted to have the entire right-hand side of the car to himself. Um, so that worked out okay. And it's, you know, got a little decent little amount of cargo room. So I liked it. So I had a fun week driving around in the zippy little CX-30 um, and pricing. I think that, you know, I don't think this is outrageous because the interior is really nice. It's a nicely appointed, it looks, I always think Mazda interiors look a little bit better than what their price is. Look like you spent a few more bucks than you actually do. And this one's no exception. So um, the total with all the things is 37,405. You guys want to guess at destination? Stephanie, do you do this the other times you're on this show? We, we guess to, we guess to see who comes closest on destination like a price is right thing. You gotta throw out a number. What do you think the delivery processing and handling fee was for the Mazda CX thirty? Yeah, I'm not gonna cheat and look at the Mazda uh, Don't look. No cheating. No <laughs> cheating. Got, got, well, and, and it might not be the Benoni same anyway. And it might you, not be the same. Right. So uh, but no, I'll guess ten ninety five. Okay, Sam. Sam is really good at this. Actually, it's really just that I'm really uh, bad at it, but go Sam. <laughs> I'll say nine ninety five. Oh, Stephanie wins. It's twelve seventy-five. Oh, more than that. Oh, see, I almost said twelve thirty. See, you were, you, but you were, really, you win. It's the closest without like, going no, over. It's bad. Yeah. Twelve seventy-five. So yeah, so this, I mean, it's for that price. There's leather seats. There's power driver's seat. You got heated front seats. Like you've got a heated steering wheel. I mean, it has all the sort of little bells and whistles that you would want. You know, it's not. It's it feels like a premium vehicle, and I feel like for thirty-seven four hundred. And the drive, all that combined, it's a, it's it's not a, the cheapest one you can buy, but it is a heck of a lot of fun to drive. And, yeah, but if – oh, go ahead, Steph. At that price point, it is the top of the top, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the extra – the engine, and really that engine kind of does make that car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the yeah. other engine yes. – is a little is a little difficult. Um so yeah, it's at 37, it's expensive at that point, but that's everything that, that you can do. There's not another point past that. And right. to your point, you can get the vehicle less expensive if you if you want to give up some some creature comforts. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you, I, I was actually just uh, my daughter's thinking about buying a CX thirty right now. Oh, and so you know, we were we were talking about the you know the pricing, um, and you know, you can get them starting. I think it's like twenty seven five something like that. It's under yeah. twenty eight thousand, not including the delivery charge. Um, so you can get it quite reasonably priced, mm-hmm. and you know, it comes standard with all wheel drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's including all wheel drive at that price point, and you know, if you compare it to competitors, um, you know, at that same price point, especially you look at the the interior, it does look and feel a lot more premium than a Ford Escape or a RAV4 or a CRV at the same price point. So, you know, if that's if that's something you're interested in, you know, I mean, the, the CX30 compared to those is slightly smaller. Uh, the CX5 is more the direct competitor to those. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, even the CX5, um, you know, the same at the same price point also feels more premium. Um, but I think, you know, I, I, I really like it. And I, as you said, Steph, I really like it with that turbo engine. It's kind of got kind of got a little bit of the character of the old Mazda Speed 3, but without the torque steer because you got all wheel drive now. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, without a manual, too. But, you know, I take and they have some great yeah. colors. Yeah. Yeah. Mine is yeah, not a super exciting. This is machine gray metallic, but the interior. Really? Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. The interior, yeah. though, is actually kind of cool. The interior is white and brown, so it's like this chocolate, oh, yeah. the chocolate brown kind of color in the dash and the wonky center console, but the seats are white. And they're not like a bright white. They're I, My mom would have called it winter white. <laughs> like it's, it's slightly light. It's not cream, but it's not that bright, bright white, which I think is actually better because I feel like truly a white interior is really hard to live with, especially, and I've yet to see one. It doesn't matter whether it's a cheap car or an expensive car. The dye from blue jeans is murder on white seats. You always see it. And we're in cars that we don't drive. It's not like these cars have 50,000 miles on it. You know, sometimes we're getting in a car that's only had someone's butt in that seat for 2,500 miles. And you can look at it and go, yep, somebody had a new pair of blue jeans because you can see the hint of the blue dye on the seat. I feel like that would be a little less noticeable when the white isn't quite so bright to begin with. So it's a little bit more muted. So I like this interior. It's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right, Steph, what have you been driving? Um, well, it's a split week. So I had one for part of a week and one that I've that I've had less time with. And I probably actually spent less time in the in the CX90. Um, but I had the 2024 Mazda CX90 plug-in hybrid. Uh, it, it really only had just the CX-90 is the only thing that says up there. This is, this is not a book. <laughs> just that's it? No, just CX-90? The, oh, my gosh. <laughs> the specific model, I guess, is 2024 CX-90 PHEV Premium Plus Package. Okay. See, it's got a little uh, bit of a mouthful. <laughs> it's got a little bit of a mouthful there. You know, tons of interior, tons of features, tons of interior space. It it's you know like the 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 inline six CX ninety right it's the biggest three row that Mazda's had and they've addressed a lot of those kinds of issues. The thing that I kind of took away from it though is I like the inline six better. I I feel like with this PF you can feel the weight of it and it's not quite giving me enough. And it was I think said it had twenty seven miles or so range when I first got into it. Um. And the first thing that I had to do was, you know, uh, take it on a, you know, a 10 mile errand, 10 miles there and 10 miles back. So I'm like done with most of the electric at that point. If I, you know, it. I struggle with plug, plug in, plug in hybrids in the, the low range that, that, that they have right now. Cause I feel like almost every time I have one, I'm out of EV power and yes, I can plug it in when I get home. But when you're just talking about something that, 
that small, it feels like it feels like a little bit of a hassle. Like if if my husband's commute is only four miles one way, so like I feel like he could go two or three days and not really have to think about it and keep it in EV mode. But you go like out of that circle and you kind of have to think about it or just drive drive it as a hybrid. Um, and mostly most of the time, I like plug-in hybrids better as hybrids than even their EV counterpart, their 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 EV time, because the hybrid is usually got a little bit more power. It's, it's more torque compared to a regular hybrid. And that's true of this one as well, but it also feels a lot heavier than the, than the regular CX-90 does, I felt like. So I felt like it didn't feel, it lost that weight somehow in there. The CX-90 inline six still felt like a monster to me. This one feels a little bit heavier and a little bit less responsive. And I'm going to blame that on battery weight, even though I don't know 100% sure that's the problem. <laughs> well, no, I think that's that's pretty reasonable. I, think I mean, you're right. You, you know, for, the battery weighs probably somewhere around 400 pounds, and two extra cylinders are going to add a lot less than 400 pounds. Yeah. You know, so it yeah. probably is probably about, I think there's about a 300, 350 pound weight difference between the six cylinder and the plug in hybrid. And, and you feel it and it's scattered partly where it's placed and, and, and all of that. So I, I drivability was, it was my, it was not my favorite monster to drive in, in a while. And and I like you kind of call, I'm a monster fan and, and always have been. It always makes me a little bit sad that they make these, these cars that are so cute and so fun to drive. And they just, the people just don't necessarily respond to it in a way that I think they should. They should be excited about the CX-30. You know, my husband, when I first started doing this job years ago, was like, oh, you have a Mazda. The first time I got a Mazda. And I said, where did where did that reaction come from? Well, it's a Mazda. I'm like, what? Why are you anti-Mazda? And I'm like, I don't even know where it came from. And then as I'm driving, I was like, this is actually kind of nice. I'm like, yeah. And it was like this gradual, like, can I sell you on a brand that you're discounting for no discernible reason? <laughs> You know, and they did get themselves um, and they haven't been doing it for the last five or six years. They've been kind of trying to pull out of it, but they had gotten themselves more in Japan than in the U.S., but they had gotten themselves into a position where they were discounting too much. Yeah. Um, and and kind of going down that path, which never really works out very well, because when you when you discount the heck out of something, consumers ultimately then they're like, well, obviously nobody wants this. Right. So it's a bargain brand. Buy. It's junk. No one will buy it. Yeah. Even in even the people who buy it are like, eh. You know, and, and you see it. And so it's, it's, but they've gotten out of that. So this one was 58,920 um, total MSRP. So that actually isn't that crazy for the three rows and the P have and everything. So it's, it's actually in the, the content in there. I have a black nipple leather one um, mm. with rhodium white premium exterior. Ooh. Yeah, it's big white. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> I if, you could, feel if, like you, white, but. if you compare that to something like the, you know, the Volvo XC90 plug-in hybrid, you know, it, it is going to give you, you know, similar electric range. You know, it's mm -hmm. a similar size overall and it's quite a bit cheaper, you know, or, and uh, same thing, you know, compared to like a BMW X5 right. plug-in, things like that. So when you, when you look at those premium brands, you know, you're getting something that's, you know, quite comparable, you know, I mean, it feels, you know, similar, type of quality and fit and finish and everything to those vehicles, um, you know, at a, at a much more reasonable price point. And to your point, it does feel like that because the Volvo is a good combination and Volvo interiors have always really enjoyed. And the Mazda interior feels just as good or pretty close to just as good. I mean, that, that, that wool that Volvo has is, mm -hmm. is, it's own that, special is nice. space, yeah. that is nice. Um, one, you talk about small things. Hmm. 
one of my pet peeves is wireless charging because I have yet there's there's been like two cars that it actually had a really good spot and it's the never Mazda works like never works was, you can't drive <laughs> if you're just stationary you're just sitting there and like you know you you turn you drive you accelerate you don't even have to drive hard you just like turn out of your driveway and it slides and and I you know I, I feel like it's difficult from an automaker's perspective to try and get the right size although it shouldn't be as hard as it sounds like I mean but you've got iPhone plus and you've got Androids that are big and you've got all sorts of smaller cars mine's in the mid my I've got an iPhone 14 just regular mm-hmm. uh, my husband's is a max but it, it's constant and the Mazda was really really bad about that I think Honda's pretty close to as bad about that but the Mazda was just I was like this is this is just so pointless um, I'm trying to remember so- I always carry a cable and we'll be on these trips and people tease me oh, yeah. carry a cable and I'm like I, I I'll never tease you I because I don't like having to tra- use wireless charging for the same reason there's somebody and I can't remember which OEM there's it sits so your phone isn't flat it kind of sits like it's upright like on its yeah. end and asleep Cadillac does it, that they have a it, slot it, yeah and it's and slightly like, like the sides of it make me think almost like of a cup holder they're slightly cushy so they yeah. can adjust if your phone is small or big that's the only one i can't is it Cat- cadillac? cadillac does, cadillac cadillac does Cat- one um and it was it's too tight i feel like sometimes i see the one i had it where i was that's the only one i've ever had where the phone went in and i didn't and then you hear your phone doing that is it charging and not charging you're like seriously i can't take this and just take it out you just take it out there was one it's killing me because there was one that i've seen in the last in the last three months that I was like, oh, okay, this is good. Um, but I ended up not using it for that. So I just like mentally thought, yeah, that's, that looks like it should work really well, but didn't end up trying it. So um, that really, which is pretty minor in the scope of things. Uh, Mazda's infotainment still is just okay. That's yeah. just something we're going to have to work with from them for a while. Um, it's better than it, than it was. Um, but it's still not. It's it's and just do CarPlay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and they, and to be fair, they do support CarPlay. And they interestingly, do? you know, their mm-hmm. their native infotainment, you can only control it through the center controller. But mm-hmm. if you plug in your phone, you know, and you use CarPlay or Android Auto, then the touchscreen works. So the touchscreen does not work with the Mazda interface, but it does work with your phone interface. That's one way to give people choice. Yes. Yeah. I just well, would I'm like at your principles because Mazda just actually, you know, as we've all sat through the presentations, I think Mazda just feels like you should never touch a screen. You should yeah. have your hands on the wheel and you should be driving and you should never touch a screen and, and it puts you out of form and da, 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 all that. So um, that's that's an interesting thing, too, that they, and theirs, if you use mine, I'm going to make you do it my way. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm only going to be on board with never touching a screen if everything works perfectly. Like if I poke the screen and I poke the right spot, it's going to bring me whatever it is that I'm looking for. If I have to say five times directions to the airport, directions to the airport, directions to the airport to get it to hear me, then I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I just touch the screen. You know, it's that it's that inability for it to make your life easy. It's 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 wonky enough that I don't, I don't like it. Someday I will be all in, but not yet. Those things have to start listening to me better than they do before, <laughs> um, before I, I get, I get on board with that. Siri hates me. So I can't use her. Siri. She hates everyone, Google. Stephanie. <laughs> Google assistant works great for me. Oh yeah. I, well, aren't you special? No. <laughs> I have talked to people who love it and I've talked to people who love it. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
she she just mishears anything that I say. <laughs> All right. Well, what was the other car you're driving? Um, the other. Uh, so the other car is the two-row uh, Mercedes AMG EQE SUV. Um, and it's got the hyper screen, wall-to-wall screen. Um, and, and a really flowing design, I think. Um, if, you, if you think about the Cadillac Lyric, this, this I do like the Cadillac Lyric's design, but it's, it's pretty straight. Um, it does go all the way across. This one has just more swoops in the in the way that it is. In the center stack, though, the center area of the screen, the um, navigation the, and the, embed, navi- the, the embedded map, map is so gorgeous. It is so pretty, and it's huge. And they have enough space in that screen that if you use their navigation, and um, you, it will pull up their little augmented reality where you get to the corner and it show, uses the camera to show you the turn that you need to make and a little augmented reality blue arrow will tell you the direction. So you've got a little bit of visual there. Um, but this screen is big enough that you can still see the map. Like, so it, it, it only takes up half of it. So it's kind of interesting. You can see kind of both views. Plus, you know, you do have eyes. <laughs> like your eyes no. are helpful too. Um, <laughs> So it was it was an interesting w- way that they could lay all that out on it. Um, I found that the passenger side screen was really great because um, I just had to change radio stations. <laughs> so I could <just> do that <laughs> um, in between, you know, uh, everything else because he gets bored if I'm driving. So uh, here, is there anything else you can do? I need that screen to have like YouTube in it so he can just like watch YouTube videos for <laughs> while I'm driving. <laughs> Um, but it, it, that was, that was, it's interesting that you can do it. You can put the map up on there and you can, um, send directions and you can do sort of those, those, those things with a passenger screen, but that's part of the, the widescreen. Um, interesting, a couple of little things, the, the start button is down low in the center console area. Um, right. Kind of where you would have it, but it's a small button in the middle of a bunch of other things. And I, I feel like at first I was like, where is this button? I don't really know. And then I was like, oh, okay, it's there. And then the second time I get in the car, I'm like, hmm, it was down there somewhere. I'm trying to find it. Can't find it. I find it. But, and then the, uh, the turn, the Prindle stall, park reverse drive neutral. Um, it operates the way that the Mercedes ones have before. It's off the stock. It, it push up and, but it's tiny. It's all of a sudden really small. <laughs> I'm like, where is this thing? <laughs> it's it's the size of a pencil now. Like, yes. what happened here? And the I, I haven't found the volume button. Um, <laughs> I haven't found a volume button yet. I'm not entirely sure that it's there. That that I just played with it a little bit. And the the steering they wheel will tell button. you what volume you should be listening at. <laughs> um, and the one on the steering wheel, the control doesn't seem very precise. Uh, you know, I was like pushing. It's not quite right. Not quite where I want it to be. On the other hand, I mean, the screens are amazing. Like what you can do in control and them, the light, I really do like what they've done with the, the interior lighting pattern. Oh, it's and beautiful. And it's gorgeous. You can pick your color. The one that I have has red contrast stitching. So I've discovered that the blue interior light is not the right one. It just oh, with, the with, the blue, with the red and it just, it just kind of bugged me. So like <laughs> I went to a purple, which isn't, which works. Purple okay. and red sound like they, these are close that, that worked better than the blue. But no, I, I like that um, it integrates sort of blind spot warnings and stuff too. So the side of the of the light that does the pipe does run all the way across the center 
dash all the way across the dash and then into the doors it will like go red so you just as long as in the mirror you've got your blind spot you also have that other indicator there um, that's telling you something. And as you're talking to the Merge Hey Mercedes system, it the the light also reflects that it's listening and hearing. And so they're doing a lot of communication things to the owner and to the passengers with the with the lights, which I don't know. Is it just Trixie for right now and kind of cool because it's Trixie, but it is kind of cool. I did I did like that. Um I haven't pushed it super hard on on going really fast. I've just done kind of a couple of errands with it, and and just I was down at Woodward Dream Cruise, but I didn't I didn't cruise with this one. Um, <laughs> no cruising. <laughs> I didn't cruise with this one. Um, so I'm not going to go too far on the drivability yet. I need to put some more miles and and drive on it. Um, but it's it, overall I I'm curious about it. I like it. I, there's a lot of things that I think are really impressive, and and a lot of things I'm like I, like this is going to fit in really good, but do you need it? How do you need it? It's, but I'm still just kind of wowed by the whole thing. It's exterior color is, I forget what they call it, but it's that gray. It's a dark, so this gray. So it's either concrete or primer. If you don't like it, if you do like it, it's a really cool gray. So I was (laughs) having a conversation. I was like, I'm not really loving the primer. Is it really such a thing as a cool gray? Hmm. I like the grays when they yes, look, I do me. like the, the, the ones that make me think of like us, uh, I want to say star destroyer cause star Wars, but yeah. like a battleship, <laughs> like that yeah. battleship be kind of dark matte gray. I do like those a little bit less matte, but it's dark gray like that. And it's funny cause my Audi TT is a silver, um, floppy gray, which I do really love, but <laughs> this one, I'm not digging the color as much. Um, but to, to show how color is really super subjective, a shuttle driver was driving me over to pick up the car and what car do you, are you and I'm like, we're like, I'm like the gray car over there. And he's like, Oh, the Mercedes. I was looking at that color is really great. It's awesome. Like, yeah. It, 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 sure. It. <laughs> 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 I'm not going to contradict his opinion at all. Um, but it, it's interesting. It is, it is kind of a polarizing color. I mean, I've had the car out with some other people too, and, and it's kind of saw the same thing. It's a really polarizing color. I think. I um, like the either you either love it or oops, sorry. Apologies for noise. Her phone has a very emergency. Oh dear gosh, look at your phone right now. Ah, kind of beep you had going <laughs> I, on. I, there. I, hit the wrong I was trying to make it go totally silent and I you like, turned it on. It <laughs> oh, that was my fault. Sorry, you guys. I apologize. So is that the, the selenite gray metallic? Is that the one? Yeah. See, all right. Um, here's here's the thing. I can't read. I mean I can read, but it's it's small. <laughs> <laughs> it's tiny, teeny tiny <laughs> little print. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. The color is. I'm looking at the build and price um, yeah. on on the Mercedes site, and actually they they don't have the the configurator for the AMG version up yet. Oh. Uh, but just I'm looking at the uh, the EQE 500, which is the the top version of the the standard yeah, yeah. EQE SUV. And let's see, it's one, oh, two, it's, three, it's four, space, five, uh, it's, six, wait, no, that's the interior. Manufacturer Alpine Gray. Okay. Manufacturer Alpine Gray. Yeah, the, okay. the MA. So it's a, it's, a, it's the light gray. Yes, yeah. the light. So, so the, uh, they have nine colors on here. Well, nine tones of color. Yeah. Let's see. There's <laughs> there's black, nine tones. polar white, obsidian black metallic, um, cirrus silver metallic, selenite gray metallic, manufacturer Alpine Gray diamond white metallic so now we're still in in shades of you know between white and black of the seven colors <laughs> mm-hmm. there, 
Then then there's emerald green metallic, which mm-hmm. is a very dark green. It's a nice green, but it's very dark, almost black. And mm-hmm. then twilight blue metallic, which is the only one that is clearly not on the spectrum between white and gray. Yeah, that's the only color that's they have one. that is semi bold. Did you know that at the uh, at the the Celeste, uh, the sorry, the Escalade IQ um, background it was sort of similar. There's red, and yeah. everything else is between white and black. Yeah, but at least there's red. Like there's at one there's color. Red. If you there's like this, yeah, it's like you get one color or try and fly under the radar, which makes absolutely no sense with the size of that car. But still, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 it's about the size of a battleship. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else on the uh, EQ, AMG EQE SUV? Um, that's that's it. So right. far for, I mean, I still have a few more days in it and some more driving to do. Um, it's it's impressive in a bazillion different ways. Um, oh, it's price. It's one hundred thirty three thousand nine hundred dollars. So it's super cheaps. Um, it starts the just the the the. Um, AMG EQE starts at 109 300 so you're starting at 110 and then building up from there um but I you know it's it's, it's in its own space and it's that it's a luxury buyer it doesn't kind of matter yeah, <laughs> yeah they don't care it's like if you're, if you're if you're in that space it's like whatever take my money like you're not shopping you're to not, save money at that you're yeah. not shopping to save money and you're not necessarily saying Oh, like, but you know, I could get a different one that's 125, or I could get another one that's under 20. Or you're just like, this is the car that I want. This is what I need, um, and you kind of go with it from there. I think so. It the one thing I will add about the pricing, though, actually, is a conversation I've been sort of having over the last couple of weeks as we look at um, EV sales. If we look at this car, if we look at some of the others, the Escalade IQ being introduced recently. Um, and Lucid and the conversation about, you know, sales. Oh, no, maybe people don't want these cars. <laughs> My theory would be that we may actually be running out of luxury buyers. Not completely running out, but when you plan everything in it, you have so much in the in the post $100,000 space, you're going to see a little bit of of slowdown, I think. And there's other reasons things are, are changing in that space. But I, I wonder if that's one of them, too. Um, I, the logic of going EV in luxury space is, is solid. Um, you're looking at an owner that has more discretionary income. You're looking at an owner that generally will track more interested in technology and new things. And they have the ability to, to make some more decisions. They have more cars in the household. If something doesn't mm-hmm. work perfectly, they can usually work through it a little bit better. Um, so it makes sense. And they can support, at least get the automaker to some kind of margin <laughs> you've got some yeah. sort of price <laughs> prices elasticity in there um but if that's wherever where the mythical everyone focuses you're you're gonna run out of people yeah <laughs> you're run out of people. There, there's, there's only there's only so many wealthy people out there yeah the people get, are no the, longer left. The, the, the addressable market for you know for those of us that are not quite so affluent is is quite a bit larger. Oh, that's a, you know, Stephanie, that's a really good point because like traditionally, right, most of us are not buying hundred thousand dollar plus cars, so it is a smaller segment of the population. Even if someone who is buying that car is probably someone who might not keep it for what's the average now thirteen years, they can turn it over yeah. more quickly. So yeah. they, but even so, they're not probably not buying a new car every year. You know, there's they're going to hold on to it for a little bit, and if they've gone in and they've bought their first EV and they have those vehicles, like well, I'm going to sit with this for a little bit and 
get used to it and play with it for a couple years. There's only, and it's like, oh, we got new ones and new ones and new ones. Like, I need another one. I just bought one nine months ago. I'm good. There's only so many people that are going to buy into these very high prices. And even if it's not a luxury car, because EVs skew so much higher than the gas counterparts, and you do have truly cheap gas vehicles you can buy, you've you've priced that to a point where it's like... Well, except there's well, not so many of those anymore either. I know, but but I mean, comparatively, compared yeah. to what you start at for an EV versus what you can start at for a gas car, you can get something with a gas engine for a heck of a lot less than your average EV. And it does kind of, you know, it's like, okay, once you hit your luxury, you've cut out a chunk of the population by making them all at more expensive cars. Like you're not even selling to them. They don't even look in at a Mercedes, you know? No. And I mean, that's just like, again, this doesn't mean the policy, the, the, the strategy isn't sound. It right. is. But the other thing that's happening too, is we've got all the gas engines and all the regular ICE vehicles are in better inventory than they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we look at what happened in 2022 um, and a little bit of 2021 and EV share like just doing these jumps month after month after month after month um was partially impacted by the fact that there weren't enough regular cars and and a lot of people just didn't buy anything at all right um and that's that skews anything we read out of out of 22 and i think that's part of what's happening now part of its pricing part of it is there's more vehicles available which means people who were not in the market for evs to begin with are now coming back and able to buy something um, and it's slowing down. It doesn't mean EVs aren't going to be successful. Nothing of the sort. It's just might slow down some of the share and the volume still going up, of course, but it might show, slow down some of the share growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Did you know you can support wheel bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheel media and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you and exclusives and improvements are already on the way. Thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. All right. Um, so I also had an SUV this week. Um, they had the, uh, the, the 2023 Honda Pilot Trail Sport. Um, and my wife and I and our dog took a little road trip to the west side of Michigan last weekend uh, for a little long weekend near South Haven. And took the, the Trail Sport, which um, worked out really well um surprisingly well the the trail sport you know as as everybody else is doing in the last couple of years you know honda has introduced an off-roady version of their of the of the pilot you know which has you know a little bit bigger all-terrain tires you know it's got little little slightly more rugged looking you know with the the blacked out wheel arches and and so on um and yeah, the the design of the the new pilot that came out last year, last year or this year, whatever mm-hmm. it came out, yeah, is is consistent with the the design language on the current generation of of Hondas. You know, starting with the the Civic when it launched, and now the Accord, the CRV, especially the CRV. The front end of this basically looks like a CRV that's been just scaled up by fifteen twenty percent, and. Yeah, it's 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 fine, you know, especially on, on a utility. You know, it's a little more blocky looking than the previous generation was. Um, so it kind of fits, especially with the trail sport trim. It kind of it's kind of a, a good fit with that for in, in terms of the aesthetics. Um, you know, this this is not really, you know, like you know, things like the the Pathfinder, Rock Creek, and the Explorer Timberline and assorted other you know, similar things. This is not really, truly an off-road vehicle. This is not something you're going to want to take to Moab. 
but it does fine on, you know, on gravel roads and, you know, maybe a trail out to a cabin, things like that. Um, and the place we were staying was, you know, there's this, it actually turns out there's actually this chain of places called getaway house and they have I don't know, about 15 locations around the country now. And they, ha- they get a space, you know, in a forest and they set up these little mini cabins that are really cute. Um, you know, it's, they're, they're not very big, but you know, it's big enough that it's got a, a bathroom and a shower and a little kitchenette, you know, with a couple of burners and a little fridge and a, a and a bed queen size bed. Cute. Yeah. It's really, really cute. Yeah. Uh, nice place to spend a weekend. There's a fire pit outside and a picnic table. Ooh. Um, so it was, it was nice for, nice for a little weekend getaway. Um, hence the name getaway house. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you know, we drove, drove across, drove across the state you know, in the, uh, in the trail sport, you know, had some, you know, took a couple of beach chairs in case we decided to go to the beach, uh, you know, had assorted other stuff, you know, some food, took some firewood along. Um, and, uh, the, the trail sport, um, comes standard with the second row captain's chairs. And those are optional on other trims of the pilot. Uh, and, um, actually before, before we left for our little, uh, getaway, uh, I took it. Um, I took it to go to Lowe's to pick up uh, a new storm door because we were having a new front door put on. And folding down the second and third row seats, this thing is big enough that I was actually able to fit a, a door entirely inside the vehicle, so the, the seats all fold flat. I was able to get it up, push it right up against the the back of the driver's seat, and get it inside with the tailgate closed. So you know that's like eighty. 81 inches uh roughly mm-hmm. so you know if if you if you need something to occasionally haul big stuff like you know in terms of long stuff it's actually you know pretty nice for that worked out really well for that i didn't have to use my uh use my bungee cords or anything to keep the tailgate down um you know lots of lots of features on this one it you know it comes pretty pretty well loaded um it's the the powertrain is pretty much carryover you know that Honda has been using on a lot of their vehicles for seemingly forever. It's the their <laughs> 3.5 liter uh, V6, you know, which has always been a good engine, you know, smooth, relatively quiet, reasonably powerful, 285 horsepower. Um, and uh, they're, uh, I think it's an eight speed automatic transmission um, and mm-hmm. not a CVT, just a conventional automatic transmission works well, again, shifts smoothly. Um, you got a bunch of drive modes available on this thing on the, um, on the, um, the, the trail sport, uh, you get normal eco sport, snow towing mode and a trail sand mode. Again, not a lot of ground clearance on this. So you're not going to want to go rock crawling with this. You know, it's like, it's, it's an inch more, it's 8.3 inches of ground clearance. So it's about an inch more than the standard pilots, all the other pilots. Um, but Again, it's going to be limited just because of ground clearance and a relatively long wheelbase. Uh, so you're not going to have a lot of breakover height. So stay away from boulders, things like that. But other than that, work, works great for, for everything I love else. It. Stay away. Buy the trail sport. Well, stay away from boulders. Like, yes. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sound advice. <laughs> um, I was on the, the drive for that program, for that vehicle. And I was trying to find the name of the, the road that we drove on because there were boulders. Did you uh, drive over them, Stephanie, though, or did you drive around, around them? 
We drove, we drove over some of them. We drove around some others. Okay. Um, you know, uh, but it was outside of outside of Sedona, Arizona, um, and it I can't remember the name of the trail. And like I said, my my search is not fast enough to give me that information. Um, and it snowed that day. Apparently, uh, that was not common necessarily. And the the people who were on the wave before had a lot of rain, and we had snow, but it was gorgeous. Um, and it 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 can do not Moab level, but it can, it can, it holds its own on, on really some more ruddy off pavement stuff. And you really could get around some more boulders. It went up and down this Canyon. Fine. Um, no issues with it at all. Um, obviously they found a road that they knew it could work on. Right. Um, oh, but, yeah, right. there's always risk. There's always risk in those because we are drivers and people do make mistakes. So you could have gotten yourself in trouble. I was glad that it was just that there was the rain was over and we just had snow because um, some of the rocks were a little less the day before with more water and more wet rocks. I might have been a little bit more nervous, not so much because the vehicle can't do it, but just you get too much water and too much and no traction. What, what rocks get very slippery. They're very fun. Slippery yeah, they're a challenge. Uh, but it was gorgeous. And and I, I thought they did a decent job of making that sort of in between whoever needs it but that making that in between you know off-road off pavement kind of thing but they've been they've been working with that for a bit um and i don't remember if they had something new to the engine i felt like they did some stuff to the engine but um didn't uh change the displacement um yeah well. i mean if, if they did anything it was you know very minor tweaks because yeah. it's still the same power yeah. output as it's had you know for yeah. the past couple of generations um, uh, across a, a bunch of different Honda and Acura vehicles, you know, that around 285. So it's, you know, it's, it's a good engine, you know, it, it works. Yeah. There's not a lot of reason to, to change it except perhaps to get a little more fuel efficiency out of it. And the, you know, the, um, the trail sport, you know, because it's riding, you know, it, it's riding slightly higher. So you got a little more frontal area and, you've got the all-terrain tires on there, which are not really low rolling resistance. Um, you know, it, it is not rated quite as highly on uh, EPA fuel economy. So it's rated 18 city, 23 highway, um, 20 combined. Um, the, the other uh, pilots, I think are about 22 20, or about 23 miles per gallon combined. So it's about three miles per gallon less. You know, most of the driving I did, was you know largely highway driving or rural uh rural roads uh out in the western part of michigan you know so it was largely between 55 and 75 miles an hour uh, most of the time with relatively little stop and go it does have auto stop start um mm -hmm. and uh sometimes it does even shut off uh, but it, it restarts pretty quick uh and uh so you know it's fairly fairly seamless compared to some systems. These systems have generally gotten a lot better in recent years. Mm -hmm. uh, but, um, you know, so you can turn it off if, if it, if you do find it too annoying. Um, so I averaged uh, about 20, 21 and a half miles per gallon over the, the course of the week. Uh, again, you know, that included a lot of, a lot of highway driving. Uh, so it was a little bit shy of the highway number, but better than the combined uh, number that EPA that's on the label. So it's not bad, it, it, you know, I mean, if you're looking for a three row utility, the infotainment system is uh, it's not yet the uh, the newest version that Honda has. So it's their previous generation infotainment. So um, the Accord was the first one to launch their Android automotive based system with Google services in it. Um, it uh, 
so this one has the previous version, uh, which works fine. Um, and it has support for wireless CarPlay and Android Auto. Uh, those those work fine. Uh, you can also plug in your phone. There is a wireless charger um, in the, the front of the center console um, with a tiny little ridge there that um, just might keep your phone in place so it'll actually charge. <laughs> um, it it charged my wife's phone for a while. Um, not, not for very long, uh, but, but it, it worked for a while, um, until, you know, had a little bit of a curve in the road and it, the phone shifted sideways and, and then stopped charging. Um, but, uh, it, it's, you know, it's, it's nice. It's a nice vehicle. Um, you know, nothing too fancy or sophisticated. Um, but you know, it's in the, yeah, you know, you're in the same class with the, the Hyundai Palisade, the Kia Telluride, the Explorer, uh, and and lots and lots of other three row uh, utilities, three row crossovers. Um, so the one that I had, um, let me find the, the right tab here. Um, didn't come. Oh, sorry. I said eight speed transmission. It's a ten speed automatic. Uh, so you get two extra gears um, <laughs> compared to what I said earlier. <laughs> and you're shorting uh, it a couple but, of gears. Come yeah. on, Sam. I didn't didn't get a Monroney with this one, uh, but I. Uh, priced it out based as equipped. This is actually the the pricing for the 2024 uh, model because the the 23s are all gone. Uh, but I don't think the price has changed, or if it has, it's not by much. Uh, so it came to fifty thousand six hundred and thirty dollars all in, um, which you know again is in the same ballpark as the Pathfinder and and all those others uh, of a similar ilk. Um, Probably the same ballpark as the CX90 with just the inline six too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, although the, the CX-90 is arguably more more attractive, a little more premium feeling than uh, than this one. Arguably. Yeah. Argu yeah. Um, so that's the, the, the Honda Pilot all-wheel drive trail sport. But, you know, it, it does its job so well. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really, it you know, it's a family vehicle. Honda is really good at understanding what they want and what they need. And it's reliable. And it's, you know, it, it doesn't. It's not necessarily exciting in in any specific way, but it's going to be very comfortable. It's going yeah. to be a really good companion for, for most anything that, that a family who needs three rows is going to go do. And, you know, it, it, as long as, you know, you heed, you know, when the, when the lamp comes on in the instrument cluster and says, Hey, time for uh time for your service, time for an oil change, yep. um, you know, go do that. And that's pretty much all you're ever going to have to do, you know, and this thing will run, largely forever you know as long as you as long as you <laughs> do the that basic stuff uh, yeah you know and this this is one of those kinds of cars that you know raises that average vehicle age of the fleet uh just because you know if you if you take care of it it's it's going to run reliably for a long long time uh and not give you any trouble I feel like this is the kind of car in a very good way that you get rid of it because you're tired of it it doesn't give up on you by requiring you to fix you know, you're suddenly spending $1,000 a month, one small repair at a time. It's like, right. no, you know what? We've grown out of this vehicle. We want something smaller. We want something different. We want something more luxurious. There's a reason you're just like, it's fine. It's time we for a just change. Moved it's a time yeah. for a change. So if you're someone who wants to keep your car for a long while and that's part of your strategy, this nails it. Because you're going to have this until you've just decided, I am done with it and I'm ready to move on to something new, not because it gives up on you. <laughs> Absolutely. And and one advantage of going with the the trail sport, you know, especially if you live someplace like Michigan, where our roads are often less than ideal, uh, <laughs> even though you will give up, you know, a little bit of fuel economy with you know the, with the 
the slightly increased ride height and the the all-terrain tires those all-terrain tires have enough sidewall that they are better better able to withstand the uh, pothole shocks mm -hmm. uh, so you know you you might you're less likely to blow out a tire on a Michigan pothole so that's yeah. just something to consider all righty let's move on so okay. uh, mentioned that Robbie's out in Monterey this week there's been uh, been some interesting stuff that's been introduced in recent days in Monterey. Mm -hmm. um, let's 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 stick with Honda for a second, but go over to the other side of the house to Acura. Um, Acura revealed the production version of the ZDX, which is their first EV. Uh, last year in Monterey, they showed the Precision EV concept, which was kind of a preview of the design direction for the ZDX. Now we've got the ZDX going on sale. Early in 2024, they say, we'll see if GM can actually deliver those. Uh, but <laughs> you know, but that that's the target is to go on sale early 2024. Um, and uh, what do you think of the ZDX? I kind of like how it looks. I like I like the style. I like it. I know is this a love it or hate it kind of style? People are getting a lot. I feel like. Do you hate it or do you love it, Stephanie? Oh, actually, it's not love and hate. I um, and just seeing the pictures, right? Just not. Um, really uh, getting to see it in person. It, it, it was interesting, but not as exciting as I kind of wanted it to be. Um, so I like do like what they're doing with the lighting. I do like what they're doing with the lighting. See, and I like to, I, so I have this thing with EVs where it's so often it's like, I feel like designers haven't quite figured out how design should work for the grill on an EV. They keep toying with it. Do you want a giant flat piece of metal? Do you want it to be so overly decorated? It looks like a parade float. Like, where are you in there? What do you do with this expanse of space to do design stuff that no longer requires anything to be ventilated? Like you don't need the grill to help cool the engine anymore and let air flow through. I like how they did this one. I like how the the little part that has the like little a badge on it has, a, it's almost like it's a separate little section on the grill. So it divides it up. You still have a lot of flat metal expanse, but by, I like how they did that. Mm -hmm. That's like the first thing I noticed on EVs. Now, does the front actually look like something I want to look at it? Does it look like, like, I don't know, just slap a badge on there and make it plain. Like I like how they did this one. So that appealed to me. I do agree with that. I do like how they did that. It was kind of the rest of it. Just, it, it looks fine. It looks exactly what I expected it to look like, right? Um, and it's interesting because it's it's shares with um, with the Cadillac Lyric, and and they definitely went with a with a stiffer back end or whatever to get a little bit more capacity out of that. Um, so it does definitely look different from from the car that it shares with. Um, but yeah, I do. I would agree completely. I love what they did with the front. I love what they do with the lights. Um, mm. and the character in there is going to be really, and that's going to be great to see on the road. I know, right? I can't wait to see how that looks like lit up too. Like when it's behind you at night, like what's that going to look like in the rearview mirror? It looks really cool. Yeah. Um, you know, and as, as you mentioned, Steph, you know, this is sharing its underpinnings with the, uh, with the Lyric. So it has exactly the same wheelbase, the same battery, the same motors. There's going to be two versions, the A-Spec, which is rear wheel drive. And I think 340 horsepower and the 500 horsepower all wheel drive version. Um, and, but everything, basically everything above the platform, everything above the battery is unique to, mm -hmm. at least visually unique to mm -hmm. the Acura versus the Cadillac. But it does have similar proportions, you know, which means that, you know, it's got a long hood, you know, that looks like it could have an engine under there, um, relatively long wheelbase. Um, but, you know, at least as far as we know so far, no no front trunk. 
Um, they, they haven't said anything about that. Uh, the interior is completely different from the Cadillac. Still a two-row midsize, um, but, uh, you know, instead of the big 35-inch display that you have in the Lyric, uh, it sticks with a more traditional, you know, digital instrument cluster in front of the driver, like 11-inch, 11-and-a-half-inch center touchscreen. Um, you know, it. There, there are some things that I think that I noticed when I was looking through the photos that are not mentioned in the press release, but looking through the photos, I noticed a couple of things that um, are definite improvements over the Cadillac. If you look over on the passenger side, there is actually a little handle to open the glove box. You don't have to go searching through the menus to find Yay. find a touch button <laughs> to open the glove thing. box. You can just yeah. grab that and and pops down just totally like it should. School. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, you know, it, it's, I think, you know, it looks, looks very promising. I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to trying this one. I'll be interested to see how, you know, how, if at all, it feels any different driving this one versus the lyric. Uh, well, I would like to, too, but we need to drive a few more lyrics too. Well, there's that too. Yeah. That'd I mean, be I, nice too. <laughs> I still, I still have not gotten back into a lyric since the original launch drive in June of last year and, in Utah. <laughs> Me either. Um, um, yeah. And so I, it's interesting. I pulled the, the, the specs too. And one of the things that um, I did think about uh, with the ZDX and, and it's wheelbase is 121.8. It's pretty long wheelbase. Mm. Overall length is 197.7. Um, and I'm like, wow, kind of the lyric doesn't feel that big. It doesn't look that big. And it's the exact, yeah, the lyric isn't it shorter, but it's just, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying, right? Well, I think that's mostly uh, from the, the front end of yes, the, the ZDX, yeah. which kind of leans forward, kind of that shark nose profile exactly. there. That inch is just design bumpers somewhere in there. Yeah. It's not, it's not <laughs> anything meaningful uh, in terms of space. But when you look at the, uh, the MDX, which will run next to the ZDX, they're not necessarily replacing each other at this point, but uh, 113.8 inches wheelbase so you've you've got like seven inches right um wheelbase on on a versus an mdx and and the mdx is 198.4 inches long so you've only you're half an inch uh, half point six inches longer uh about a half an inch longer um in the mdx but you've got that much more um what's it nine inches almost nine inches I don't know. Math. Um, with the wheelbase being it's a lot of math for a Sunday. A lot of math for a Sunday. No, but you um, you should have a lot more interior space, and it'll be interesting to see what they how that all comes together, um, and how it feels. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. The screen I thought was interesting, um, going 11 and 11, like you mentioned, and on, on either side. As many EVs have gone to bigger screens on the inside. Um, it makes sense that they don't have the Cadillac layout. Um, I don't know if that's a matter of just not wanting to go that direction or Cadillac not sharing that sort of thing. But you would want those two to be separate from that view. But I was a little surprised that it's only 11 inches on the in the center stack and nothing. And we were just talking about the Mercedes, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's not it's not necessarily going to compete with that. But the the amount of screen space that's been popping up everywhere, I thought 11 and the pictures look fine. It looks fine in pictures. Again, not seeing it in person that 11 inches may be perfectly fine and, and feel good in that space. But it, it, on paper, it sounded a little bit smaller than what the competition is really doing right now. 
It is um, kind of, you're right, actually. I didn't really think of it. That is small. I mean, 11, once upon a time, 11 inch screen seemed gigantic, right? It's not that really. And like you said, it might work better because it is hard when we look at a picture. You're like, okay, I think that works, but does that work? Sometimes when you sit down, you think, oh, yeah, that really couldn't be any bigger than it is right now or bigger. It's going to not work with the rest of the design, but it does seem small, Stephanie. You're right. Uh, Just on paper, it does. Yeah. Um, But but you know what I'll note? It was blue. So it was a color. Yeah. (laughs) Woohoo! Yeah. And and it's a, it's a, I really, it looks really good. It's a really nice shade of blue as well. Yeah. Um, looks really interesting. So hopefully they'll have a, at least a couple of other interesting colors available on this thing. Um, one other feature that is new to the, uh, um, to the ZDX is, uh, Acura watch 360 plus hands-free driving assist, uh, which, uh, is also known as GM super cruise. Um, <laughs> that's the, uh, Acura folks can, uh, confirm that yes, it is, it is indeed super cruise, um, yeah. different branding, but it's the same system, which is good. Uh, cause that's, that's a, you know, as hands-free systems go, I still think it's the best one out there. I um, do too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It is by far the best one. So it's just everything about it in every way it's better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's and that's a nice way for Acura to get in. It's really Acura getting into the EV space by sharing with with GM on this is is saving them a bunch of time. They're working on their own EV platforms. They have in other markets EVs already, but um, to get to the size and the space that they really needed here, um, and of course we know the Prologue is going to come up as well. Um, that's that's related to the GM products um, and Apple, and they will still have CarPlay on this, but so does the Lyric. Yeah. For now. So for now. And so I'm, I'm curious to see when that transition really happens for the Lyric because GM went with the Google built in and what it's and I don't have all the answers for, for this yet. I didn't, I haven't called them yet, but um, the Google built in system that's going in, that went into the Canyon in Colorado and is going into future EVs. We are still talking what 12 months after the Lyric. And if that's yet again a different version than what we're actually going to, they're both Google built in, than what we're actually seeing in the Lyric. Because um, the Lyric does still offer CarPlay and Acura does and Honda has already said that they're going to offer CarPlay as well. Another interesting kind of supplier side thing, right, on this um, is Acura's decision to go with Bang & Olufsen, right? Yeah, they've, they've switched. Uh, they've, they've used the, um, the LS, Elliot Schneier uh, studio stuff, the ELS yeah. studio for, I don't know, what, 15, 17 yeah. years now. And, and it's worked out really well for them, but this switch I feel is, is, is driven by, um, GM using Harman, um, and AKG going into the, the Cadillac products and a number of other, other things on the GM side. So it feels like they just sort of migrated to the, to the Harman library of, of, um, of, of stereo systems um, for this vehicle. But the way that they presented it and the way that they talked about the change to Bang & Olsen, they made it sound like they're going to continue to go forward with their other projects. Even the non-GM projects are still going to go. So they've made a switch um, to Harman, which. And, and this, you know, this happens fine. from time to time with most yeah. automakers. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll get a better deal with some other brand. Um, you know, or you know, just decide ah, it's time for a change. It's time you know? for a change. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, either you know, the Bang and Olufsen system will be terrific. The ALA China system was terrific. So either way, uh, you're going to have a, a highly competitive audio system for the electric mm-hmm. segment. At, you know, to be fair, most modern vehicles, the premium audio systems, even even the the standard audio systems, all sound pretty decent now. 
yeah. um you know and and the premium ones you know generally sound really really good so yeah. um you know it i'm sure this this will be this will be fine it'll it'll be excellent um <laughs> so um all right well let's let's move on to another new uh ev a, another brand launched its first ev in monterey uh, a couple of days ago uh that is the lamborghini uh, lanzador um i i spoke with uh stefan uh, uh Stefan Winkelmann, the CEO of Lamborghini, a few weeks back, and uh, he talked off the record a little bit about this car. Um, and uh, so this is this is a preview of the first production battery electric vehicle from Lamborghini uh, that's coming. Uh, produ- the production version is coming in 2028. This will be the fourth model in the Lamborghini lineup, joining the the Revuel- Revuelto, uh, which is just launching now as their plug-in hybrid v12 hypercar um the successor to the huracan that's coming next year which will also be a plug-in hybrid and then also uh, a plug-in hybrid version of the urus and this is when when i talked with vinkelman uh you know he described this as a gt uh you know kind of going back to the origins of lamborghini and before they built you know the original mura and then the Countach and and other sports cars, they, their first few models were, were GT cars. They were coupes um, with four seats. And you know, he described this as a GT, and, and Lamborghini describes this as a GT, but really it's more kind of a, more like the, the Urus than it is like any other Lamborghini in, in terms of its kind of overall look, but you know, with a fastback. Um, yeah. you know, they, they describe it in here as a, High ground clearance GT. I think um, it looks like a squished Urus. Like yeah. you just took your hand down the roof and and you just squished the clay model. And they're like, let's build it this way. Yeah, <laughs> it looks very Lamborghini. It does with all yeah. those angles. Very, like it has yes. to have angles to be a Lamborghini. Yeah, it definitely fits the brand. It does. So and you know, I, so I'm looking through the pictures too as we as we go through this and reminding myself, but it, it I'm intrigued. I'm very intrigued by by this. It's kind of cool looking, um, more so than the Urus. Yeah, that's I mean, you know, it's a two door, so yeah, um, you know, there's that. That's good. Um, four seats, um, you know, a thousand uh, kilowatts, uh, so about thirteen hundred and forty horsepower. Uh, so it, uh, you know, it should move along uh, the way you would expect a Lamborghini to move. Yeah. One one thing that's going to be interesting. Yeah, and this is something that I talked with uh, with Finkelman about. You know, what's it going to sound like? And yeah. that, that's something we don't know yet. And he said, you know, yeah, they're they're still working on you know what electric Lamborghinis should sound like. Um, and this is something that every manufacturer is kind of still struggling with, trying to figure out. You know, how do you how do you transition that sound? Yeah, what sound I mean, makes? I feel like we had to use just no sound and just the really quiet, annoying little buzz that happens when you're under what is it 30 miles an hour because they make you do that so you don't accidentally (laughs) hit a pedestrian we just all have to like a uniform little when we're coming and just say goodbye to the sounds of engines that don't exist anymore i'm okay with the idea of getting of of sort of saying goodbye to the sound where i where i struggle with this subject in general is sound is still part of how you sense things yeah and and then an absence of sound is, is still kind of strange. Does it need to sound like an engine? No, it doesn't need to do that at all. It doesn't need a fake engine, 
but what is this turbine thing supposed to, to sound and feel like? And, and it's, it's going to take a while to sort it through. There's so much of this EV stuff that is, that is new and, and we're, it's okay. It's okay if it takes a decade to figure it out and that can be a problem. It's not going to happen overnight. And I think you're right. I think it's one of those things, like it took a long time to make the gas engine cars that we have now. It wasn't something overnight. They sounded the way they sound. It was a very slow, think about how cars, when you hear an old car start, oh, good Lord. Like they've changed over the years, right? Even if you look at a car from the 50s or you look at a car from the 70s or a car from the 90s, they sound different just between as the technology changes and just what we want as of the public going through time. So I don't think we quite know with how new EVs are, what we all really want to hear and it was going to take some time to figure it out what we feel comfortable with. Yeah, I think so. Um, the good thing is everybody's talking about it and thinking about it. Um, mm-hmm. That's high first step of solving a problem, right? Yeah. Um, but that'll that'll take a bit. No, this Lamborghini is this Lanzador. I like the name. Lanzador. <laughs> I like the name too. I was thinking that it's a fun name. It's a fun yeah. name, right? Yeah. I don't it's certainly like easier to say than Revuelto. Well, and it's easier than Urus because everyone's like Urus, Urus, Ross. Like I, nobody's Lanzador. It looks like Lanzador. Hey, we all got this one. <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks for pronunciation. <laughs> so one one more uh, Monterey debut um, that came up as pretty much a complete surprise. I don't think anybody I hadn't until the day before um, it was revealed. I hadn't seen or heard anything about this. I hadn't heard anybody talking about this. It's the Ford Mustang GTD, um, Mm -hmm. which, as uh, Ford likes to describe it, is the most audacious Mustang ever. Uh, And when I when I spoke with uh, Ali Jamul um, after dinner the other night, he I think he probably said used the word audacious at least four or five times in like 15 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) He, he was, um, he, I, I, after I turned off the recorder, I I told him, yeah. Um, yeah, you've, you've definitely been media trained very well by these guys. Um, (laughs) he, he was totally on message, never deviated from the message at all. Um, which, you know, I've, I posted that interview on the Patreon feed, uh, and we'll probably include it in the main show next week. Um, but uh, I already had one comment from a listener saying, yeah, you know, you, you tried really hard to get him to say something and he, <laughs> he, he just stuck right with it. And, it's like, yep. and uh, I know, you know, for, for, uh, for the, for the PR guys that are always watching over when we have these conversations, you know, they're, they're always relieved when the executives stay on message, but uh, I think they're always relieving the ends when you're like, okay, thanks. You can almost see them do this. Like, oh, I got to do another one. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so the, the GTD, um, unlike the, um, the, the, the GT three, which is the race car that's going to go to Le Mans next year and run in the, the IMSA uh, series as well is somewhat derived from the production Mustangs. Um, and pre- in the past, all, you know, all all the the highest performance Mustangs have been really more derivative. You know, higher performance derivatives of more pedestrian Mustangs. This one is really you know is very much derived you know from taking the GT3 race car, which is very different in a lot of ways from all other Mustangs, and basically turning it into a road car. And in the in the press release, there was something there was an interesting quote in there. Uh, where they said, you know, this is the first time that we've taken 
a race car, you know, designed a race car and then developed a road car from that. And that's not actually entirely true <laughs> because uh, back about five, six years ago, um, I think, it was, I think it was in 20, uh, 2017. Yeah, it was 2017. Um, the year after the Ford GT won the GTE class at Le Mans, um, Larry Holt, who is the uh, chief technical officer at Multimatic, which is Ford's partner for their high-end racing programs. And they're actually going to be building these. They built the GT. They're building the G, the Mustang GTD. Um, one of, he was, Larry is a very interesting guy. And in his presentation, he was going through, you know, kind of the origins of that, the most recent GT. And, you know, the fact that Ford, when they decided to, do the program what what their goal was was to actually go back to Le Mans and win again after 50 years after they first won in 1966 that was their goal and before they gave the go ahead to do what became the GT they did feasibility studies and they looked at doing a Mustang a GTE class Mustang and taking that to Le Mans and deciding no, this is going to be, it's too big, too heavy, too, too much. Uh, we can't do the arrow the way we want uh, for, for this class of racing. Mm -hmm. And so what they did was they said, okay, here's the rule book. What can we do within this rule book? And they designed a race car. They designed a car to maximize, get the maximum performance out of that rule set and then built a road car from that. And that became the Ford GT that is right. just, just ending production. That's basically what they've done here is they took the GT3 car that they had designed and they made a road car and said, okay, now that we don't have these racing restrictions, like, you know, how big the engine can be, how much power it can have, uh, you know, suspension things, what can we do with it to make the ultimate road going Mustang? And what you have is the GTD, mm -hmm. uh, which looks a lot like the GT3 car. You know, it's got the fender vents and the big wing on the back. None of the body panels are actually common. They, mm -hmm. they just look very similar. Um, mm -hmm. And um, this thing's going to have, instead of a 5.4 liter naturally aspirated V8, an 800 horsepower supercharged V8. So it's basically an upgraded version of the engine from the outgoing GT500, uh, which has, I think, 760 horsepower. Uh, so they've gone to a dry sump oil system on there. Um, carbon fiber bodywork. Um, they moved the transmission to the back. It's got an eight-speed DCT transaxle at the rear at the rear end of the car to balance the weight. Uh, Semi-active suspension system from Multimatic. All kinds of other cool things. Even has active aerodynamics, so that the rear wing, uh, the upper flap of the rear wing at high speeds can, and when the car is going in a straight line opens up, it goes from being at an angle to basically being horizontal to reduce the drag, which if you watch Formula One, you'll be familiar. It works basically exactly the same way as the drag reduction system on Formula One cars. That's what they do. Um, and funny, going back to my interview with, with Ali Jamul, I asked him, you know, were you inspired by Formula One cars doing that? And even that he wouldn't acknowledge even though it's utterly <laughs> obvious. That is not on my message. I can say nothing. <laughs> yeah. look, what? You, Formula you, One? You, you look at the animation and how it works. Yeah, it looks it works exactly the same way as a Formula One rear wing, but eh, whatever. Um yeah. so uh so what do you think of the what do you think of the Mustang GTD? 
uh, it's three hundred thousand dollars. Oh yeah, there's that. <laughs> I forgot to mention that part. I mean, you know, it's obviously well worth the money in terms of what you're getting for it and all the things they've put into it, and and it's a low volume thing. Um, it's it's interesting um, to to kind of push this direction um, in, in contrast with the EV stuff that's going on too. That's that's sort of one foot in one camp and and, and the other, um, and because they had the GT, you're like, okay, well, it's a baby brother to what you did to the GT. Um, it's it's cool, uh, and, and it's three hundred thousand dollars. Um, and Ford GT was something was more. It was four fifty five hundred, so they're not the same price point at all. It's definitely cheaper, um, but it's still a Mustang at three hundred thousand dollars. And and I admit that I'm I'm sort of going, oh okay, it looks it looks cool. Um, so it's a good thing they're not going to make a ton of them. Um, it'll be super special. Mm-hmm. It will be special for for anybody who wants to jump in and buy it. It's amazing technology, and and the drivability should be amazing, and definitely looks the part. Um, but it, there's a little bit of a like, oh, okay. Now the timing is nice because there's nothing. Yeah, the Challenger and Chargers that are 800 horsepower are exiting this right. year. Although this is not in that class. And so you could buy, what, three, three or four of those, depending right. on your point it's of view, or one of these. <laughs> um, you know, it's not really a competitor for that. Uh, so it, it is in its own space. So it's on one hand, it's really cool to, to, that they're still paying attention to this space. On the other hand, it's 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 a lot of money for the Mustang name to carry, um, and I don't know if that's going to ultimately matter. Even and it looks to your point, it looks so much like a, a regular Mustang on steroids. On on on, um, that's that's a that's a huge that's a huge number for them to carry. But you've got people buying the GT3 that are going to track it and race it. So you've got a general driver racer who may step into it because um, they're thinking about things in an entirely different way and they'll look more at the performance and it does look good. Yeah. Like it's not an ugly Mustang at all. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> right. It's, and, it's yeah. a beautiful car. And, and we were, we were talking you and I stuff with uh, Mark Phelan from the Detroit free press at dinner the other night. Um, and we we're talking about, you know, why they unveiled this car in Monterey versus showing it here in Detroit for the dream cruise. Yeah. You know, and one thing you brought up, you know, is probably the fact that at this point, since this car is not coming out until late next year, early 2025, the one they showed in Monterey is probably the only one that exists, at least, you know, in that showable form. You know, there's also at least one prototype that they had in the, in the videos. Um, but, uh, you know, the, as you, as you mentioned, you know, Mustang GT3 is going into, you know, the, the GTD class in IMSA and the GT3 LM GT3 class in, in the world endurance championship next year. And in that, in those classes, a lot of, it, and and also in other series and SRO and others, you know, these GT3 cars are largely, uh, in, in most cases, are um, pro-am um, yeah. driver lineups. You know, so you'll have, you know, a professional driver, uh, you know, and they, the FIA has different driver classifications based on your experience and, and you know, what, you know, whether you've, you know, what you've won and so on. Uh, and then, so... Typically, there's a, a gold or a platinum driver, and then a bronze-rated driver. You know, who's an amateur. They're they're not doing this full time, and these are usually very rich guys who also happen to be you know pretty good drivers. You know, yeah. people like Ben Keating, 
uh, who's won all kinds of stuff in, in many classes. Like Jim Farley. And Jim Farley. Yeah. I, I don't know if Jim's got a bronze uh, yeah. license or not, but, uh, but, you know, and these guys, you know, these rich guys, these rich bronze rated drivers, they're the ones that usually bring the money to these teams, you know, bring the sponsorship, bring the money that funds these teams that allows them to pay the pro drivers to, to come in and, and do this stuff. Uh, and, you know, I can see, you know, a, a lot of those same type of people are the ones who are wandering around Monterey this weekend. And I can see, you know, somebody who's thinking about buying a Mustang GT3 to run next year in, you know, World Challenge or IMSA or, you know, uh, Asian Le Mans series or, you know, any of any of these series, um, you know, thinking, you know, it would be really cool to have a car that looks just like my race car that I can drive to the track in this car, get out of the road car, hop into the race car that looks almost exactly the same, you know, and then after the race, get back into my road car, drive that back up, you know, assuming that they're not flying in a helicopter. Um, so, you know, those, those same people that are paying for these racing programs are, you know, also the ones who are likely to be in most cases buying these, these uh, GTDs. And most of them were in Monterey last week. So yeah, yeah. everyone's in Monterey. Uh, Monterey was a, the more, more logical place to do that. Although speaking with Ford, somebody told me there was actually a consumer event in Las Vegas. There was a couple of days before mm-hmm. that. And so the formal, the real was to consumers in Vegas, just ahead of Monterey. Um, and the leaks didn't really come out for 24 hours or so after the event, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> like, people that were there just kept their mouth shut for a day. <laughs> which is amazing <laughs> yeah, i was like you know the 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 pr person i was talking to was like well we had 300 people there there was no picking their phones there was no covering up their cameras <laughs> you, no. you just had to right. wait you just have to hope <laughs> that it worked. and uh, it um, worked remarkably well i mean this this is you know one of those few times when you know very few details were leaked out ahead of time yeah. And, and so it's, it is amazing and it's very specific in that space. And, and yeah, to the, to the Monterey versus Detroit versus wherever introduction, uh, Monterey is where the people where enough of the people who are, who are in that interest zone and spending that kind of money, that's where they were. They're yeah. not going to fly to Detroit for the show. Um, and <laughs> uh, the only miss maybe would be, I don't know if it was at Monterey historics at all on Saturday, that would have been a really good place to mm. have it. I, I think I think they actually did take the car to uh, to Laguna yesterday for the uh, for the historic races. So I think they had. Those it on, are the people. I don't talking. think they ran it there, but I think they had it on display there. Yeah, yeah, display would have been good enough, yeah. which makes sense because yep. a lot again, a lot of those same drivers are you know they also own collections of historic race cars and they're out yeah. there running those historic those vintage race cars uh, at Laguna Seca on Saturday. And today's the as we're recording today is the. Uh, um, the Concours at Pebble Beach. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's let's stick with Ford for a moment. Um, and uh, uh, you know, over the last couple of years with the the inventory shortages, you know, automakers got really used to uh, um, having elevated transaction prices on cars because you know if they if they could only build say a hundred thousand of some model instead of two hundred thousand, well. They focused on building the most premium versions of those and getting, you know, getting the, you know, getting as much money out of those as they possibly could. Um, and uh, uh, one example of that 
you know, was the, the Bronco, uh, you know, Ford, you know, and, and with the Maverick, you know, Ford tried to emphasize the higher end versions of, of those. And, and same goes for everything they, that they were able to build, um, for 2024 model year, Ford is discontinuing the base version of the Bronco that they've been offering. And I don't know how many of those they've actually sold over the last couple of years, but this was the version that had steel wheels and, you know, minimum of, of options on there. Uh, and when they, when they launched the Bronco, it was interesting that they talked, you know, they said we're offering this one because, you know, we've got so much customizability available with these things. And a lot of people buy this kind of vehicle buy Wranglers and are going to buy Broncos are going to customize their vehicles with all kinds of aftermarket accessories, you know, and they, they talked you know about all the, the couple of hundred different accessories that they had from launch. Um, and, you know, they, they offered the, this version with the steel wheels because you know, I said, well, you know, a lot of these customers, you know, they're just going to take, they're going to take this and they're going to throw away those stock wheels anyway, and put on big 35, 37 inch tires uh, for off-roading. Uh, well, now they, now they don't have that option anymore. They're gonna they're gonna have to buy the um was it the uh, uh they're gonna have to buy the big bend big, big bend, bend. Yes, I want to say Badlands and I'm like that's not yeah, it no the big the big bend is bend. the 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 one I was trying to think of um they're gonna have to buy that version and then throw away more expensive aluminum wheels <laughs> um and that means that the price tag base price tag is going to be four thousand dollars higher um so you're going to be starting at 40 grand now for a bronco uh for 2024 i have to imagine that they wouldn't be doing that if they hadn't already decided the number of people who are buying in at the base trim is so small we're only getting x we'll we'll lose a small percentage of them but by the small number of people that would still just okay i'll go up a trim we're going to make more in the end like it has to you know financially it's you know it's just like suck it up everybody who wanted to save four thousand bucks no one's buying that version yeah and and it could be as you as you you know, work with a product like this one too i'm you know just modifying the, the go-to-market strategy over time if not if that that was the plan i remember as well sam you know that they were going to just let you had this base one that you could strip you could do whatever but and maybe just partly to the the base engine even the people who want to modify it they didn't want to stick with that base engine maybe they wanted just a little bit more than than what was there in terms of feature content, even if they're throwing away bigger wheels, um, that just wasn't quite enough. I mean, most most presentations and conversations that we all sit through, um, when you ask about what the take rate is for the very base car of anything, it doesn't it's matter. It's pretty is. small. Yeah. They're like maybe five percent, but we need it there so that we have like something that pops on the website <laughs> that says yeah. it's below thirty eight thousand. Right. Advertising and marketing, once again, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that, but it's really not where the take rate is. And while inventory is better, supply chain is better, disruptions are slower. We still don't have enough chips to do everything that we need. We're at a normal inventory level. So if nobody's really taking this one, you, you, you let it go and, 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 and let people kind of move up. And I think that there are definitely people who take the time to modify but those sort of Everglades editions and, and all of the editions that, that really do get something that is a little bit special, a little bit unique, but not quite as much effort to, to pick your own wheels. <laughs> you know, you, um, I think people do respond to those as well. Um, so it doesn't, it, it does change the pricing structure, which people will 
we'll we'll see complaints and we'll see conversations about that. But I don't think it's going to change their sales mix at all. Probably not, or or you know, just you know, a trivial amount. You know, yeah. Uh, like you said, I, I don't think most people were actually buying the uh, um, that uh, that base model anyway. Yeah, you know, they would probably start with one of the other trims. And you know, frankly, Ford offers enough different variations of this. You know, from the Big Ben to the Everglades, which is back for twenty-four model year, and yep. the Raptor. That, you know, that there's something in there for just about everybody anyway. You know, yeah, you can you can get and you can still put your winches and lights and everything else on there. Um, plus, it also <laughs> simplifies the the build. You know, in the factory. You know, is you know one of the things you know manufacturers are always trying to do is get to fewer buildable combinations because um, mm-hmm. that that adds complexity and adds cost in the manufacturing process. Yeah, and I wonder if we're tripping it, I, just watching it overall. So we hear a lot of conversation about vehicles not being affordable enough and nothing, you know, it's all too much right now, um, which is a fair complaint. But at the same time, when you when you look at buyers, they they want stuff. Buyers aren't necessarily even more, I think, than bef- than that before COVID. But just over time, the level of safety that we expect, the level of entertainment that we expect, the level of convenience that we expect in cars, sort of naturally put people to that second or third mid level vehicle, and and that base is much much more difficult to sell because the people are are just they want stuff. <laughs> the the level that you're ready to settle for now is no longer roll up windows and no AC. Like we've that ship sailed ages ago. It's gone. <laughs> so um, this car is now going to be $4,000 more than it was. But people have the ability to understand why necessarily or what they're getting for that $4,000. And they're not, they're not necessarily, I don't hear feedback that people are willing to settle on the same way that they, that they once were. Um, and we're, we do have people who are just looking, they need transportation and there's a fixed budget and they're the those choices are going to be limited in that in that space. But they aren't necessarily saying they want to give up a lot. They still want the same technology that another car has, which puts them in a difficult position. But if they can figure out how to how to scrape those extra dollars, they'll scrape those extra dollars together to get the technology that they want in it, whatever mm-hmm. whatever vein, whether they're more safety or whether they're more infotainment. Um I, yeah, I think consumers' demands have, have grown as well, and that's going to keep prices up a little bit because yeah. at the end of the day, you, you know you have to pay for it. <laughs> my it's, it's my daughter has problem. inherited a Kia Rio that was purchased on purpose to be the cheapest possible Kia Rio one could get and has crank windows. And can I just <laughs> tell you, I had to drive her car for a hot minute, and I was like, what the – Oh my gosh. (laughs) I had a second. I'm like, where it's not a Jeep. They're not on the center console. Oh, it's like this handle thing. Like I was like, I can't even remember the last time I was in a car that actually crank windows. (laughs) Have have your daughters ever used a rotary dial telephone? No, a funny story. So we went to um, the Universal Studios where the Harry Potter land is. And anybody Harry Potter fan, there's a thing where they dial a phone and you can dial the little phone at Harry Potter, whatever the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, and it plays a little message. And my daughter, I don't know, this is maybe 10 years ago. She was like maybe 12 or so. She walks into the little phone booth to do the little thing and she opens the door back up. She's like, I don't, how does this, I don't get it. Yeah. I had to go in and show her how to dial. And like, you put your finger in this thing and you pull it all the way to here. She's like, Oh, and she, like she had no idea, no idea yeah. how one works. Same, same thing with my younger kid uh, when they were ten. 
uh, encountered a rotary dial phone for the first time and had no clue at all how right? to use it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, this is what we grew up with. Yeah, yeah it was. So, all That's right. Uh, okay. And then one uh, last thing with uh, with Ford, uh, it's actually, there's a couple of different stories, you know, part of which includes uh, Jim Farley, the CEO of Ford. Um, mm-hmm. uh, as, as we've talked about uh, um, many times here, um, the state of DC fast charging in America sucks. Um, and now we have yet another piece of data to back that up, um, although any of us that have actually tried to use it uh, are well aware of this. Um, and Jim Farley, I guess, over the last couple of weeks was doing a, a road trip uh, from Detroit to the West Coast in an F-150 Lightning. And um, he he also experienced um, that, uh, yeah, charging sucks. Um, and uh, he tweeted a couple of things out uh, or you know, posted it. On, I guess he also put, maybe posted it on threads or Blue Sky as well, in addition to uh, the site formerly known as Twitter, um, you know, saying that, yeah, it, it's it's definitely bad, and that that's why we're you know switching over to NACS, and and we're gonna have uh, support for the Tesla superchargers next year and our EVs. Um, but uh, JD Power had their most recent um, uh, ver- their most recent edition of their uh, charging satisfaction index, um, and um, to no one's surprise, um, the the scores went down uh, from last year um, for, for DC fast charging. It went from 674 on a thousand point scale to 654, but even level two charging um, also went down from 633 to 617. Um, so, you know, the companies running these chargers, they need to get their act together um, or, you know, this is, this is causing a real problem uh, for automakers that are, planning to try and sell all these evs you know if if the charging system doesn't work people are not going to want to buy these evs well i and i think part of it that we're seeing too for the the ratings dropping is that as more and more people are willing to give it a go as it becomes less of a strange scary thing and you say okay i'm going to give this ev charging thing a try you get people who aren't necessarily ev enthusiasts or evangelists you get Average, more average people and average people want their new EV to be as easy and simple to use as their gas vehicle was and their experience, you know, where somebody who's just like, I'm really going to buy into the EV thing. I want to have the first, the newest, the coolest. I'm willing to accept some inconvenience. There's more and more people now I'm not willing to accept the inconvenience. I need to get this charged. I need to get on my way. And I think you're having people finding that more just average folks trying to live an average life are finding that it can be quite a challenge. It can be. And, you know, we've like mentioned earlier, I mean, through the six, first six months of the year, because I don't have it all the way through August, but uh, EV take or EV share is 7.1%. We, are, we haven't tripped any mainstream. We haven't tripped early adapters. We're still in this first, like, we're going to try it because we can space. Um, and I, I remember noticing at the kind of the end of last year, I'm like, this is going to be the thing for the next year. We were just going to hear people like complain about how bad the system is. It's not going to get changed in 2023. Mm-hmm. You'll see pockets here and there, and there's obviously money invested, and there's obviously um, the charging companies are are being put to task, rightfully so, to to make changes, and they're being pushed to make changes, but they won't happen in in five minutes. They won't happen in two months. They won't happen in six months. Um, you know, just because the the seven and a half billion is out there 
And some of it's been distributed. It's not all been distributed. And yet, wait, you still have to build things after that. And so it's going to take us some time. One of the things that I kind of like to sort of remind people, like 1913 was when we had the first pull-up self pull-up station. It wasn't self-service. Wow. The pull-up station for gas. It was 1964 that we had the first remote self-service gas pumps, which meant that you could sort of pump yourself. Um, it worked right before that. You had to have an attendant there to reset the pump and take the money, blah, blah, blah. So in 50 years, we got from here to there to, to being able to pull up and buy gas in some sort of jar to being able to run your own pump. And then we saw more changes coming after that. And we're looking at an entirely new infrastructure and saying, oh my gosh, we've been able to buy EVs for five years, excluding some of the early Teslas, right? And why on earth is the system just not here? Well, take a breath, <laughs> take a breath, explore it out, you know, and 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 research out what you need and, and figure it out. And it's going to be difficult for a while. Um, and I think to your point, Nicole, too, we are still seeing some people who aren't as familiar come in and that's going to happen and more and more and more. And we're going to see that. But I also think that we're going to find when we do kind of get to more of a mainstream buyer um, that when they try it, they're going to do things that surprise us in the way that they manage their charging life. They have expectations walking into it now that it's going to be just like it was before. And, and I think that what probably ends up happening is they, they, they learn different habits and different patterns, even what we're, from what we're thinking of. I think people will learn that their actual driving range and, and needs in a given week are 200 miles. And that as the infrastructure, and the, uh, at the same time, the infrastructure is going to be keeping, keeping improving and growing. They aren't necessarily going to expect the same thing. And they're going to start to realize that they're paying for a lot of battery they don't eat. Um, and, and ask some of those questions. Again, we will have infrastructure continuing to improve, which will help. People will start charging it overnight at home or every two days at home, whatever it is they need, and start to be really comfortable with that. Um, so there's a mix of things that are happening to make it all better. But I didn't really think that 23 was going to be a good year for this. Yeah. Um, and and it's good to see the pressure on it, though, because that's that's the biggest weak spot. Automakers need to participate, but it's not necessarily 100% their job to create the infrastructure to do that. Um, they don't own gas stations, you know. Although, although you know, increasingly automakers are getting you know directly yeah. involved in that. I mean, Tesla yeah. has been doing that for a decade now with their supercharger network. Um, and you know, a few weeks ago we had the big announcement from six automakers. Uh, you know, they were going to oh. invest to build thirty thousand chargers um, over the next several years. Um, so, you know, they're they're recognizing. You know, the automakers are recognizing that we cannot rely on these other companies at this point you know they have not proven that they can be trusted to do the job right so we are going to have to get more directly involved and in making sure that infrastructure is mm-hmm. there um and when i say it's not i don't think it's their their job necessarily to build the infrastructure that doesn't it's not the same thing as not having a vested interest in finding a way to help it and tesla needed the supercharger network right. in order to get where they were so they were in a different environment in a lot of ways um, just being first, just being pushing that 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 edge, and they're not going to stop developing their network. It's going to continue. I like the the agreement you just referred to, 
with the the six or seven, depending on if you count Hyundai and Kia's too, right? Yeah. Um, I'm counting them as one. <laughs> but they liked it. Is that all seven? All the headlines were seven, right? Yeah. Um, but at any rate, regardless of how you count that, um, that that to me was a really neat arrangement and agreement because it'll have both charging connectors, both CCS and NACS, because Hyundai and Kia. And Atlantis and some of the others involved haven't decided to move to NACS yet. Um, but being a shared environment, um, it, it gives more potential to get more funding, kind of. And and it doesn't have to be one automaker. We don't need, you know, we've, what, 40 automakers. We don't need 40 supercharger networks. We need more than one, but somewhere between one and 40 sounds like better space. <laughs> Although, you know, to be fair, I mean, look at look at gas stations. I mean, there are a lot of brands of fueling stations. So, you know, the you can you can have you you can have that competition. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But um, certainly, you know, when you look at the capital investment required to build out these charging networks, you know, a collaboration, at least at this stage, you know, makes a lot of sense uh, to for them to partner and you know that several of the automakers that were part of that announcement are also part of a similar joint venture in europe called ionity so if you're in europe you know the ionity charging network is also owned by a consortium of automakers uh including bmw and uh i think ford is an investor in ionity and volkswagen uh and, and a few others so it's you know it's good that they're they're recognizing this and you know they Again, as I said, the the automakers recognize that for the the investment that they're making in the vehicles and you know building batteries, building the vehicles, you know they are going to have to if they ever want to recoup that investment, you know they 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 know their customers have to trust that they're going to be able to charge these vehicles, and you know the you know the people buying EVs today are you know still very much early adopters. They are much more likely to have charging available or off-street parking available at home so they can charge at home overnight. But as you look forward, you know, in the United States, we have 290 million registered vehicles on the road. Mm -hmm. About 2 million of those are electric. Um, Mm -hmm. And most people never buy new vehicles. Most people only buy used vehicles. Sell three times as many used vehicles in the U.S. every year as new cars. And as you get into that used vehicle market, which these cars are eventually going to do over the next several years, a much higher percentage of those people do not have off-street parking. They live in apartments, condos, townhouses, um, or or even, you know, live in, in, even in single family homes in urban areas where often they do have to park curbside. And so they are going to be relying on some form of public charging infrastructure. Some of that's going to be DC fast charging. Some of it is going to be um, you know, some development of curbside level two charging so that, you know, people that are parked overnight, you know, they can plug in, you know, at the curbside. Um, and there's going to be a variety of solutions, but, you know, that all needs to be developed and that that takes time and a lot of money. Exactly. It takes time. It takes a lot of money. Um, and DC Fast is the easiest conversation, but it's it's not actually the one that we need the most of. I yeah. think to your point. It's the it's the level twos on city streets that that are, are going to make the most impact really um, for a lot of this uh, movement and a lot of this change. Um, and I, 
it's good that they're involved. And a lot of the automakers that, that have been involved in that consortium or the others, they've been trying different ways to help build networks for their, for their customers. No one has ignored this issue. Yeah. yeah I mean, um, GM's got their, than, yeah. their community fast charging program with dealers. And, um, and they're still doing fi- the client, the pilot flying J program mm-hmm. is still part of this. And they're part of the seven and they're doing the Tesla thing. So GM has been all the way through. Nissan dealers have put their stuff in. Nissan started from the beginning trying to be involved with whatever charging situations were available, even with the first leaf, even when it was not very many charging stations <laughs> for anybody. Um, so, you know, they've they've always been involved. But what we're seeing now is you need to kind of jump the gate a little bit and, and push it. So it's good that we're having a lot of pressure to make it go faster than than it would otherwise but it's also still going to have to take time. So we're in that sort of mixed scenario in that space. But I like the consortium idea a lot. I, you know, hopefully others will join that consortium too. Just to, And the other beautiful thing is if you look at business and Wall Street and that kind of side of things, um, it the consortium feels like something that once it's served its purpose of getting people moving forward, these automakers could sell off their part. Yeah. They, they don't have to maintain this for the rest of it, its entirety. Or if they decide that it's getting a good enough revenue stream, maybe they do keep it, right? They don't have to do one or the other. Um, but there is an opportunity to help create a business, I think, in a in a in a way that makes a little bit more sense to me than having all forty. Um, and you're right, Sam. We do need competition. We don't, and it's going to be more than one. It's going to be a number of them out there. We have a lot of gas stations, brands. We have a lot of gas providers. Um, but still, I think there's, there's, there's kind of a blend in there The the EB goes and the charge points and the guys that are struggling now that are not, you know, necessarily that they're going to figure their stuff out too. Yeah. Like they're going to understand that, 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 you know, how, why we never thought we needed canopies. I don't understand, but <laughs> at the time it made sense. Like, oh, let's just get this thing up there. Um, so ever it's still a learning process. I mean, those two things that I just said, one thing happened in 1913, one in 1964, there's pages of what happened <laughs> in between. Um, and, and we will develop an EV infrastructure far faster than we develop the gasoline infrastructure. Um, I just like to look at those and, and kind of say, let's, let's take a breath. Let's keep moving forward, but recognize that it's going to take time. Well, it really is. And that's, you know, like you said, it's going to move faster than we did when we first had cars and cars were a new deal. But still, like when you think about it, where cars were in 1913 to where they are today and how much had to change, like the how many things changed, how many pieces got us to where we are right now. And it took a lot of time to do that. We're kind of sort of trying to do that all over again with this EV technology. And yeah, we're going to do it faster. And yeah, we have more, to, you know, it's it's not going to take as long, but like, give it a change. It's going to take time. Like you think about how long that took. There's no way we can affect that kind of change in five minutes. You can pump all the money you want into the, into the process. It's still, you, you got to build stuff. You got to have electricity in the right places, the right amount of electricity, the right, you know, it is such a complicated thing that we're trying to accomplish and to expect to go, okay, we went from horses to cars in this long. Now let's go from an electric, from a gas car to an electric one in 35 seconds. That doesn't happen. It takes time. You know, everybody praises Tesla and how fast they move, but you know, it's taken them 10 years to build 20,000 chargers. And it's probably going to take half that time for this new consortium to build 30,000 and, you know, all the others uh, that are out there that are doing this. So, yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's talk about one more before we do some listener questions, uh, and that is 
Um, the uh, Toyota Supra uh, for 2023 model year uh, added an option for a manual transmission. Pre previous to that, it was only available with an automatic. Um, and amazingly, almost 50% of Supra buyers are opting for the three-pedal setup. What do you think about that? Absolutely not surprising at all. I mean, if you're buying a fun little car like that, to not have an automatic sort of makes you want to cry. I mean, to not have a manual makes you want to cry. So the fact that they're like, yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me in the least. I think it's fun. Yeah, I think it's fun. It doesn't mean that, that everyone wants manuals, but it does mean that there is certainly a slice of a sports car driver that still wants to shift for themselves. Um, I do own three. <laughs> yeah. There you go. It's you. Stephanie made I, this happen. I, I, I have, no, well, not super. Not three supers. But manuals. That's what I mean. Like you're yeah. the you're the point. Like you're a manual transmission buyer. You got three sitting yeah. there. You know, there's there's still fewer and fewer people know, but the people who do drive one, they love it. And uh, if you love driving a manual, you probably like sporty cars. So to make it available in a sporty little car, like, duh, it makes it's perfect kind of sense. Nice that the like sedans and some some really. Some, a lot of cars, a lot of the SUVs that we look at, and it, there's you know, scenarios where a manual transmission isn't as fun, right? And it used to be um, ages ago, right? The manual transmission was the less expensive one because it was right. less, whatever, more less complicated. And so, you know, you, you put it in that space and you had manual transmissions that weren't very fun. Um, Kia Rio. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, there's, you know, when you put a, a, a manual on some of those, the small subcompacts, it's not always fun. Um, but it's really fun in certain environments. And it's nice to see that, that we do still have some in that space for however long that we do. Yeah. And in fact, um, I've got a manual transmission Supra sitting in the driveway right now that I'll be talking about next week. Um, you know, along with my Miata in the garage, that is you know, also a manual. So, uh, I, every vehicle I've said this before, every vehicle that I've ever owned, uh, over the last almost 40 years now, um, that has been primarily my vehicle has been a manual transmission, every single one. So I, you know, I put my money where my mouth is. Yeah. My, my very first car that I bought was not. And ever since then they have been. Yeah. All right. Um, let's answer a few listener questions. Uh, we actually got quite a few this week. Uh, thanks for everybody for sending those in to uh, feedback at wheelbearings.media. Um, and keep sending them in, um, and we'll try and get to them every week. Uh, or, you know, if you want to just record it, like, uh, we, like we did, somebody did last week or the week before, uh, we will include that audio in there as well. So, uh, first up, James Clough, I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it. It looks like, looks like tough, or maybe, maybe Clo. Um, that's I'm going with one of the. One, one of the wonders of the English language, O-U-G-H, depending on, <laughs> on the word, can be pronounced any number of different ways. <laughs> anyway, James. James. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love the show. Been listening ever since you had Casey List as a guest in 2017. Thank you, James. Um, last week uh, on the Detritus of Daily Life, um, Sam spoke at some length about the BZ4X having a heat pump, not just regular air conditioning, and his expectation of more efficient cooling. I understand how reverse cycle heat pumps are game changing for heating, but what difference do they make for cooling? Um, generally, not a lot of difference, but um, you know they they should they should be a little bit better. I mean, it's basically kind of like a traditional air conditioning system, but they they should be a little more efficient. And you know, and Steph, um, you know, just to fill you in, I had um, a BZ4X last time that I talked about that as soon as I turned on the air conditioning, the range immediately dropped by 20%. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, you know, which, you know, was a fair bit more than I'm used to seeing in most EVs when I turn on the air conditioning. It's usually somewhere around 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I would expect it to be, it's not so much that, you know, that uh, I would expect a heat pump in and of itself to be more efficient for air conditioning, but just this overall system seemed much less efficient than what I'm used to seeing in most EVs. Um, cause they, they do basically work the same way as any conventional air conditioning system. Um, next one is from Gigi. Um, anyway, uh, just wanted to make a few remarks on some things said on the show about hun- new Hyundai vehicles. I have a 2013 Tucson limited that I received as a Christmas gift. Ooh, got, I know, uh, right? Like you had a bow, like a they have a giant red bow in your driveway. I'm jealous. <laughs> uh, someone had mentioned that the higher end versions of Hyundai's had wireless Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. I'm not sure if we've mentioned that because I, I don't know of any that do uh, that have wireless uh, at this point. Uh, mine does not. I ended up getting a Motorola MA1 USB Android adapter for 60 bucks at Target and now get Android Auto wirelessly. It's a little slow to connect at times, but it beats having to plug into the dedicated USB port every time. So for those that aren't familiar with it, this is a little dongle that you plug into the USB port and basically it it acts as the wireless interface uh, to your phone. And it works, uh, I think it also works with CarPlay uh, in addition to Android Auto, but I'm not 100% sure of that, but it definitely works with Android Auto. Um, secondly, uh, Nicole mentioned that a recent Hyundai she drove didn't have a rear wiper on mine. It looks like that as well, but it is there. They moved it from the bottom of the glass to the top. Now it's hidden under the rear wing and I can't seem can't be seen from either inside or outside the car until it moves. I too originally thought the same thing that they didn't install one. The control is on the end of the wiper stock. So I think we may have been talking about the Ionic 5. Yeah, I'm trying to remember which vehicle that was, like a recent um, Hyundai. But, oh. I, but I know that I can tell you for certain the Ionic 5 and the EV6 do not have a rear they wiper. Do not, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, there are, they do not have a rear wiper. It's like, it's not. And there's actually hidden. quite a few EVs that are like this because that, that wiper does cause a fair bit of rear drag. Um, and, you know, because arrow is so important on EVs, you know, they've, they've been leaving it off uh, on EVs, especially like on the Nissan Aria and on the Ionic 5. And I think on the EV6, you know, if you look at that, that rear spoiler at the top of the tailgate, there's a slot in there for the air to flow through, you know, to uh, control, helps control the airflow off the back of the car. And there, there is no wiper. There is no rear wiper on those. The, you're right. The Tucson does have it mounted up underneath that but there's no slot there either so Hmm. um and then the one thing that the tucson is missing is motorized folding side mirrors for nearly a forty-five (laughs) thousand dollar car that's just not right um and lastly i wanted to get your opinion on the best feature of the car it's called auto hold when you stop in traffic and go and stop and go traffic or waiting in line at the bank or pharmacy drive-thru it's a dream if you're not familiar with what it does it's like an instant e-brake when you stop you press in a little further on the on the pedal and it engages the auto hold so you don't have to keep your foot on the brake pedal. To disengage, just press the go pedal and resume driving. Does any other manufacturer have a similar feature or only Hyundai? There's um, there's um, auto hold on a lot of I know I've had in other vehicles and off the top of my head I couldn't tell you which ones. I don't they all work like that. Sometimes like there's a button and literally the you, you push the button once and now you have auto holds that's like always engaged so that if you brake, you can, you know, it does that. Um 
this so they might each it's work pretty a common on a but, lot of new vehicles now. yeah if you've um, got an electronic parking brake you probably got it on hold yeah uh, well actually even on gotta, even on a lot of vehicles that still have a mechanical park brake because i remember back in 2011 uh when i was still working at, at gm uh mm-hmm. when they launched the the sonic um you know we did a, a video, you know, it had, and, you know, sometimes it's called hill hold is you yeah. know, it's auto hold or hill hold. Um, and, you know, that had a manual park brake. Uh, but yeah, as you said, what it's designed to do, you know, if you, basically if on most modern vehicles, it's very easy to implement um, because they, they're just using the stability, stability control standard on all new vehicles. And so you can apply the brake uh, with using the stability control, apply the, the brake pressure, so when the car comes to a stop, if you have hill hold or auto hold enabled, um, then it will just turn on the solenoid valves and isolate the pressure in the wheels to hold the brake pressure there. You can lift your foot off the, the pedal and it just stays there. It's, it's really it's a it cool. nice feature. It is a nice feature. And the flip side, we were talking about Mazda's earlier. Mazda's, um, one, of the, one of the things that, that's kind of almost annoying, um, they'll automatically engage the parking brake um, and a lot of times when you put it in, in reverse, it doesn't automatically turn off. You have to push the button where a lot of them that automatically engage a parking brake when you stop, when you put it in gear, it'll, it'll turn it off. Or if you touch the, the gas and the Mazda, you have to push the button and several of them. And I think they might've changed that in some, but <laughs> so you go to drive and you're like, Oh wait, no, I can't. <laughs> Sorry. I have done that. I'm like, and you get that like, it's like it's hold on a second. I got to turn that on. <laughs> yeah. Turn this off. Yeah. So it's a cool feature because it keeps it, it keeps it stable, but it um, works. <laughs> you, even you know, my, my 2016 Cadillac automatically turns it off when I put yeah. it in here. You, you know, where, where Hill hold is actually really helpful is in a car with a manual transmission. Yeah. Um, if you're driving around someplace that, you know, got some hills, hence mm-hmm. the, hence the name, um, you know, when you're stopped, um, you know, when you can, um, take your foot off the brake, you know, you've got the clutch pedal pressed down with your left foot, take your foot off the brake with the right, and it will hold the brakes until you give it some gas and start to release the clutch pedal. Um, and that's that when we, when I did the, the video with the Sonic, in, in 2011, that was what we actually did. We had the car parked on a slope and put an egg behind the, uh, behind the rear wheel, you know, to show that you know, oh, it was yeah. not rolling back over that egg. So, so you can, it makes it a lot easier to get launched on a hill without rolling backwards. Uh, so yeah. very, very handy feature for that. Very handy feature. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Sean Whitehurst asked, with assistive technology, what assistive technology do you still struggle with? I got my first rental car with the Hyundai Lane Check turn signal cameras. Uh, I find it distracting. I check over my shoulder and my mirrors. Do I also do a camera check? Do I drop one of the check one of the other checks? I'm a bit annoyed with this highly praised feature. Are there other f- features you see in cars and struggle to adapt to? <laughs> There's a lot of features you struggle to adapt to. Which the most annoying? Mm. But the, the those dual cameras, I, I found it annoying at first, but over time, I, I integrated it into where I like, don't. I my first is probably my eyes over the shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. I still old school, right? Um, and and everything else is secondary to to that. But I have found that I use those more than than I normally thought. But it it was a it was a process of time 
being in one for a week that had it and not being in it for a while and then like popping back up over over a couple of years of being in ones that had it is when it kind of started to, to to fade into something that that added to um how I check and it didn't for me it doesn't replace another check it's just another and and once you're kind of used to 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 it being there it doesn't it doesn't take four seconds to look at it you just it's a it's a glance and you're just like okay it's it's there so I've gotten that's one I've gotten used to yeah, I think where you said it was a rental and it probably did drive you nuts because assuming it was a rental, you didn't have it for a long time, right? So you didn't have a chance to get used to it. It does get a little bit, it, it becomes non-intrusive. You Like, you know, like when you first had like um, lane change warnings, there was a little blinky light like on the side, like by either on your side view mirror or like on the side of the door, whatever. Those blind, seem blind kind spot of- blind spot monitors. Blind spot monitors. Like those would bother you. Like, oh my God, there's like, now you, you don't really see them unless you should be seeing them. Like you kind of- you know, when like, I'm trying to make a lane change, am I cutting anyone off and you're paying attention to it? So I think the cameras sort of do the same thing. You get used to using them when you need to use them. You still do your visual actually looking over your shoulder checks, but now this is like an extra, like, wait a minute, a little extra peek if you need to see it. And they, they can be helpful too in, in more high traffic areas or when you've got more bicyclists, when you've got more slower speed, but higher traffic zones when there's just more happening. Um, it's a good place when you're on the freeway, it's not necessarily as much as of, of, of a use. So it's, it, it is, is one that also is kind of, I think i um, driving situation specific where it's more helpful. Yeah. For, for me, it's, you know, lane departure warning and lane keep assist systems, um, that are, I find are the, the most annoying, um, because they're, they're so inconsistent often, you know, and sometimes they, you know, a lot, usually they are, you know, based on just having just a single forward facing camera. A lot of times, you know, you're driving down the road, depending on the lighting conditions, it may or may not be able to see lane markings. So sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it's too aggressive. It's just, it's just more, usually more annoying. And especially the ones that, and it's less, there's less of an issue now than it used to be. Um, in the early days of those, you know, you had a, a beep. You know, if you were getting a little too close, you know, you had an audible warning if you're getting too close to the lane marker. Um, you know, now most of them use um, just a uh, rumble of the steering wheel, use the electric power assist to vibrate the wheel a little bit. Um, so it's it's less of less of an annoyance than it was. But, yeah, those those are, are still my main complaint. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. The ones that work badly really work badly. The ones that work well, you never notice because you're just in your lane. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a driving style too, right? Um, how much do you drift? So those those have been, and it's interesting when we talk about supercruise, which we mentioned earlier, right? When you talk about autonomous driving, um, and I wonder if that's going to affect people's confidence in those systems when they keep getting, you know, um, inaccurate or aggressive lane departure warnings when you, you know, you know what you're doing and, or you're not really in a dangerous situation. And are people going to say like, look, this can't, they can't get this right. They can't get this to be intuitive. How are they going <laughs> to get this to work? I, I have no idea if that's going to play out that way, but there may be some people who question it. All right. Uh, Larry uh, uh, writes about the Cadillac Lyric. Um, as a longtime listener, patron, enthusiast, I look forward to your weeks, each week's episode to drop. Uh, thanks, Larry. Um, I'm especially looking forward to hearing your remarks on the Lyric as teased in last week's show. Uh, since it wasn't brought up in yesterday's show, I would have to assume that your contact at Cadillac hadn't got back to you yet. 
I don't find that surprising as GM seems to be tightly curating the narrative surrounding this rollout. There's been precious little information since the press event last summer. Um, yeah, and that's, you know, partly they've had a hard time actually building these. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we did learn during the last earnings call that uh, apparently a big part, of the, early on there was a lot of software issues, but then they also had problems actually building the battery modules for these things. Uh, the supplier of the equipment um, was very, very late in delivering them. So they've actually had to set up manual module assembly lines in some of the assembly plants to, they've, they've been able to build the cells, but then they have to ma- manually assemble the modules, which is kind of crazy. Um, if you do ever get to evaluate a Lyric, one option I'm particularly interested in hearing about, no pun intended, is the noise canceling. A freakish escape room incident coupled with years of playing in a band that refused to use in-ear monitors has left uh, has left me with hearing loss and tinnitus. Um, I'm particular, in particular, the tire noise on certain road surfaces makes it next to impossible for me to follow a conversation. It would be interesting to hear anything about the mythical all-wheel drive version. Uh, as I understand it, the noise canceling comes with the upgraded sound system that is pa- packaged with Super Cruise as part of the level two upgrade. Uh, since I like to drive, I don't really want Super Cruise and probably wouldn't pay $20 a month for it after the initial period. Uh, like last week's letter, I am a deposit-paying, pre-order-holding, prospective Lyric owner. Uh, Super Cruise and sound canceling were a part of the bait, I meant, I mean, launch edition, uh, but are four to $5,000 extra now. Similarly, there has been precious little information as to if and when my pre-ordered all-wheel drive will be scheduled and or built and what the price of that car might be. Um, at any rate, thanks for a great show. So um, I, I'm not sure that the noise canceling is only on the upper level trims. I think it's on, on most electrified vehicles, it's usually standard because um, one of the things that they... They have to battle with, uh, with a, you know, whether it's a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or a battery EV. When you take away the engine noise, all of a sudden, a lot of other things that used to be masked by the sound of the engine become much more apparent. Um, and so, you know, for a long time, they've been using noise canceling to try to suppress those other sounds, road noise, wind noise, and so on. Um, I'll have to check on where where the noise canceling is available on the lyric um but have you have either of you had a chance to drive one since the launch program last year i had a very brief hot minute in the lyric and really didn't uh, it was like a, like a year ago literally so it's been a while yeah um, yeah, I, same here. I uh, haven't been in one uh, in, in a long time but active noise cancellation is something that that it gets used even more than when it's necessarily a stated option per se, because it's all the way through. Um, so I, we don't have a good answer, do we? I'll, have, I'll, I'll have to that. look into that uh, one for next time. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I have, I have some tinnitus, you know, from going to too many concerts when I was younger um, and listening to music way too loud. And, you know, it's, it's never been, the noise canceling has never been an issue for me, at least the way it's implemented in cars. Um, so, you know, hopefully that, that wouldn't be a problem for you. Um, Eric Thatcher asks, uh, I've noticed a lot of new electric vehicles have a glass roof. Do they also have a way to cover the glass so the sun isn't beating down on you in the summertime? Most of them are that optic glass that goes that that, that goes dark. Um, yeah, so it, they, it, it's, it's, it's special glass. 
Yeah. <laughs> special glass. They, they, special they have glass? they have UV filtering on there. Um, you know, and, and in some cases, uh, like the I believe the lightning um and I think the Rivians, you know, they actually have a shade that you can close. So, like, you know, the Teslas don't have that. Um, but you know, there a number of these do have a a shade that can close, you know, to block it off completely. Uh, but they're usually, you know, pretty darkly tinted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're gonna get, yeah, you're gonna get a little bit more sun load than you would, you know, with a, a you know, a solid roof, but it's it shouldn't I've never had it really be an issue in any of these cars. And finally, from Sid Polk. Um uh, hello, it's me again. At least I became a Patreon subscriber. Thank you, Sid. <laughs> and thanks to everybody else that's been subscribing. We've got a few new ones recently. So thank you all. We appreciate it. Uh, so my mother-in-law in Bowling Green, Kentucky, bought a Buick from the Buick GMC Cadillac dealer there. After the local dealer here in Austin treated her poorly when she was here with her older Cadillac and needed service, I decided not to do business with them. Anywho, a while ago, I put down a $100 deposit for a Lyric at the Bowling Green place. They contacted me a couple of months ago and said I could start the ordering process. Of course, it took a few weeks to get the link. However, I called them and told them I changed my mind and got my $100 back. I was in Bowling Green in June and stopped by the place, and they had a demo lyric there. I talked to the salesman who'd been handling the order, and he said that the 2024 model would have CarPlay. The the decision to remove CarPlay was not finalized, and 2025 might have it, but if I really wanted it, I should order a 24. Uh, also, the cargo area is not wide enough or deep enough to hold my baritone sacks without putting a seat down. So it's a no from me. Um, dog, even if I... So it's, it's a, a no, no for, for me, dog. dog. Even, even if, if I, I get CarPlay. Got to get the, Just, the enunciation and yeah. like, no for me, dog. <laughs> uh, it's hard, hard to handle the, uh, the, the punctuation when I'm uh, reading out loud. <laughs> um, anyway, keep up the good work. Um, so... Yeah, you, you mentioned earlier, Steph, um, that the the lyric, at least for 24, you know, GM, you know, when they announced that they were dropping projection, phone projection, they only said, you know, for the new EVs that yeah. are being introduced, the Silverado, Blazer, Equinox, and and um the um the Escalade and and the others that are that haven't been launched yet. Those that are already in market for now, they're not taking it away. Um at some point they might. Um, hopefully for those people that already have it, they don't get an OTA update that takes away a feature that they might've been using. Mm-hmm. That would hopefully. really suck. That, um, that would, that would create a, a fear. I mean, yeah. cause even the, the cars that it's, that they're taking it away, the Google navigation and the Google built in, um, the, the service fees for that will, or they're going to be like free for like the first eight years. Yeah. So yeah. ultimately the long term is that you would, you would pay to even use those services um, but they built in, it feels like at this point, a long enough period to get people to get used to it and enjoy the Google built-in experience more so that you'd be okay when in 2028 when the model year comes out and there's a fee for that. Um, but I don't know that they're going to take it out of Lyric or Hummer. Um, they haven't really said they could. But in some ways, it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense to take it away from an owner who's already got it. You're really going to create more friction. If you're not giving it to somebody who buys a new car, that's a level of friction to deal with. But if you've already 
got it and are using it and you just take it away, you're going to have an anger customer who's not going to be like, that's ah, cool. Google built in is awesome. I can talk to my house. <laughs> that's not going to make them happy. Um, but if you, if you decide to buy the car, even though it doesn't have it, then you're, you put yourself in a different position to begin with and you know what you're dealing with. Um, so, you know, we don't, we don't know for sure what they will do, but I would say it'd probably be a bad idea to take it away. Yeah, definitely. And as far as the, the cargo space goes, you know, that's, you know, that's something that you should all always check out, you know, for any new vehicle, you know, it's probably, it's probably never a good idea, if, especially if you have any particular needs or wants, you know, you should probably never buy a vehicle sight unseen, you know, with, without, you know, checking out things like that. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, of course, is the seating, which we've talked about a lot, you know, make sure that you, you drive it and, you know, see if the seats are comfortable for you because everybody's body is different and some seats will be great for some drivers and, you know, other people will just not be able to get comfortable in those seats. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, check out things like the cargo space. You know, if you need to carry a baritone sacks around, you know, make sure that there's enough, <laughs> enough volume there for you. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's it for this week. Um, Steph, I want to thank you again for joining us. Thanks for having me on, on again. It was fun. Always yeah. is. And uh, we'll talk to everybody next time. See Bye. Ya. See ya.